Good morning to you. Good morning to you. Is my mic hot? Is my mic working? I'm not hearing it in my. Uh, I'm not hearing it in my ear. Uh, real talkers, we are. Uh, we got a few gremlins at play. Are we for sure? We are for sure. Okay, so Ayla Brooke is still playing. <laughs> Friends, I don't know if you can hear me at home or not right now. So, um, we got music playing. Okay. So what's going on here, Sam? Are we good? Are we live? Are people listening to me? Are people hearing me? Uh, Short answers, I don't know. Okay, we don't know what's going on, ladies and gentlemen, right now. Uh, this is, uh, I don't know if I'm talking to nobody right now, or I don't know if I'm talking to, uh, you know, many people. The chat says they can hear me. Okay, uh, I can't hear me and I can't hear anything, so I won't be able to hear guests. So uh, Sam Brooks is going to troubleshoot that, and he's working on it. Um what a start. There we go. I can hear my voice now. Okay. okay. We're good. good. We're good. You shouldn't have been mixing my ties for the last hour in here. We should. <laughs> yeah, that's what I do before the show. Oh, boy. We got it. I knew that I knew that that was going to happen. The minute that we that we set up the blender in here and started bringing in fresh coconuts and barrels of rum, Sam, I knew that we were going to get distracted first thing in the morning with getting the show on the air. It's good to be with you on this barrels Thursday morning. And <laughs> barrels. We could use a barrel of rum in here. Um, no, actually, by the way, I'd like to, this, this is actually what this is, is me patting myself on the back. But I'd like to pat on the back every single person that's doing right now the dry January thing, the sober January. You can attest under oath under oath not technically but but in the spirit of being under oath i have i have sat 11 feet away from a well-stocked beer fridge now for how many days in january like half the month already it's well, we're, the 14th we're at january 14th and i can attest to that it's uh, not a single cold beer it's a very weird feeling when you get up and you hand me a beer and yeah. you don't get one for yourself that's right it, like i feel sad i have i'm actually starting to feel very uh, like I go and I get you a beer, which which now makes me feel like an enabler, because when you when you have removed yourself from the fog and when you're when you're taking a break, but enabling others like my coworker here, my colleague, technical producer, Sam Brooks, I get myself a healthy, sparkling water and I get Sam. Uh, I mean, it's a fabulous locally brewed microbrew. Let's not be let's not kid ourselves here. Uh, but at the same time. Um, yeah, taking the month off. So, so it's, uh, it's been good. How many of you are doing that? I'm curious to know when you put it out sometimes on social media, you'll hear from a bunch of people going, Oh, I've thought about doing that. Oh, I should do that. That was me for a while. And then we were just like, Hey, we're going to do it. So we're doing it. And you know, I mean, everybody will experience their own, uh, their own, uh, you know, results, benefits, challenges. Some people are going to write in and say, uh, you know, who did I see? Anthony Hopkins the other day, the, obviously the, the Academy Award winning great, you know, the, the acting great, celebrating 45 years of sobriety. How great is that? Some of you are going to go, yeah, I've never tasted it in my life. It's not my thing. Others of you are going to go, uh, I'm on my third paralyzer, Jespo, and good morning to you. So wherever you're coming from, uh, we're getting uh, real talkers all chiming in on, on, on the uh, live uh, YouTube comment thread this morning. Leth View is going, good morning, real talkers. I'm assuming Leth View is a view out of Lethbridge. If I'm wrong, I apologize. Uh, you're going to be hearing from your fire chief on the show today. As a matter of fact, uh, just after the nine o'clock news headline, so we'll call it a half hour from now, <clears throat> the fire chiefs out of Red Deer, Lethbridge and Fort McMurray, Wood Buffalo are going to join us. So if, you, if you're kind of envisioning the map of Alberta, you're going, that's pretty good coverage. That's, that's pretty much, you know, ish. 
province-wide coverage of an issue with three different fire chiefs that are joining us, which is great. You want to know how, how people care about issues or how much people care about issues? Just just go through like these basic. Think to yourself, when's the last time I saw a talk show host or a news program or a radio station or anybody? When's the last time I saw them get three fire chiefs together at once? It doesn't happen. And it's mostly because, you know, they're they're busy running their fire departments, overseeing their fire departments. But but these three have made themselves available uh, because there's something that they're they're extremely concerned about. And that's changes to 911 dispatch in the province of Alberta. They said that there's been no consultation on this and they say there's going to be uh, a dire circumstance as a result. Now, realistically, political insiders are telling this show that despite the protests that we're hearing, you, you heard the four mayors on the show last week. And when's the last time you saw a talk show with four mayors on together? But we saw mayors out of obviously Wood Buffalo, Red Deer, Lethbridge and Calgary. You saw the four of them on this and they're speaking out against these changes to dispatch. Now you got the fire chiefs speaking out. Political insiders are saying, I mean, it, it's great that they're doing that. But there's not going to I mean, it's, it, the change is done. You know, the changes have, have been plotted out and planned for a while. They're implemented already. Half the province now changes have gone into effect. The rest, it's coming into effect later this week. So we're going to hear from them. I mean, the deal may be done. The changes may be done for now. But we'll see what the result is. You hope the result is not anecdotal evidence. People saying, we told you this was going to happen. A dispatcher, a, a not local, a dispatcher from who knows where got confused. Right. When, 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 they, when they heard Saskatchewan drive, they thought they got confused. They thought it was Saskatchewan. They sent the ambulance to the wrong place. We're, we're hearing, you know, the ambulance took 24 minutes to get here. My dad was without oxygen, you know, and now he's brain dead. We're going to get, you know, these types of stories. At least this is what the fire. Don't take my word for it. Don't go, ah, Jesperson, you're always banging. You're always, you know, you're trying to get ratings. You're trying to get people. Jack, Jack, yeah, yeah. We'll listen to the fire chiefs. And if you think that, all three fire chiefs are lying, then maybe you have a bigger issue. So we're going to get their take on that. We're going to talk to an individual that was the board chair of the ATRF, the Alberta Teachers Retirement Fund. That's coming up in the 10 o'clock hour. Uh, looking forward to that conversation. I, I, I reached out and spoke with him yesterday, Greg Meeker, and uh, on Twitter, Yo Meeks. He got a pretty good following helping people understand retirement funds, pension funds, that kind of a thing. And, and I said, uh, I said, sir, how are you feeling about changes that the province made, right? Basically on Christmas Eve, uh, the, the first word he invoked, incensed. He said, I'm incensed. I said, okay, well, you come on the show and tell us why you're incensed. So we're going to get into that today. And we're going to have some fun today with my pal, Andrew Walker, who's, who does a show uh, on Sportsnet in Vancouver. Um, talented uh, sports talk host, uh, in my mind, one of the most talented in the country. We're going to talk about the NHL season. Dropping the puck on that yesterday it was very cool to see athletes back in action. I know some of you are probably ticked off. I saw that there were there, there were some people this morning uh, talking about you know millionaire athletes and and I can't travel and Ontario's in lockdown, but all the millionaires are out skating. You know, I think it quite frankly, for in my mind, uh, brings some normalcy. We're already so twisted around. Let's have some real talk. We're already so twisted around about policies, about who can travel and who can't, who can do what and who can't. I mean, it's been the theme of our conversations forever. So twisted up on this. But I'm curious to know how you feel about hockey. I'm thrilled to see hockey back if you want the truth. 
All right, we got to get the show rolling. President of the Coal Association of Canada, Robin Campbell, is ready to join us. Conversations like this happen because Bitcoin well uh, keeps us in business moving forward each and every day as our presenting sponsor here. A lot of people are going to be looking into cryptocurrency as an option. Maybe there's something that intrigues you. It's captured your curiosity. Maybe you see it as an investment vehicle, an opportunity. Maybe you see it as something bigger. If you want to make sense of Bitcoin, you want to have a safe and reliable way to buy or sell it, check out Bitcoin Well, and you can find the link to their website under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Boy. Oh, boy. So, uh, just just going to be honest for a second. I kind of feel like uh, I'm sort of thinking like when, when Canada had its gold medal hopes. I'm, I don't know why I'm thinking of Donovan Bailey right now, but I feel like I feel like the, the way that we're starting technically this morning kind of feels like if you saw Donovan Bailey before that big gold medal race in Atlanta walking around with a knee brace on. That's what it feels like right now from a technical standpoint on the yeah, show. It's one of those days where yeah. just like it, it feels like things a bit, are just letting me down. It feels like oh. it feels like a Monday right now. It uh, does. So you should. So, so I'm working we're, on we're it. Getting, dude, I we're, am. We're, oh, nobody's. This is not you, Sam. This is just the. this is just our reality. Um, I will say the barrel of rum is on its way out. As soon as we finish the show today, the <laughs> barrel of rum is gone. Um, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I appreciate that Robin Campbell's making himself available for those of you that don't know. Uh, Robin, uh, uh, former Minister of Environment here at Province of Alberta. Now he's the president of the Coal Association of Canada. It's a hot button issue, and we're grateful that he's made himself available. Welcome to Real Talk and a good and happy new year to you. Robin, can you, uh, oh, yeah. there How we go. Doing? Yeah, doing all right. Thanks. So obviously, this is a huge issue. There, there's a ton of people that, that are really ticked off and protesting. You know, we heard from Corblund yesterday, landowners, ranchers saying, what are we doing? Basically lopping off the tops of mountains here for something that's not even really worth it for Alberta from a revenue standpoint. When you and I started corresponding yesterday, you said, hey, listen, there's a lot of misinformation out there. So where does this conversation need to start from your perspective? Well, I think that, uh, you know, coal is a necessity, and especially the coal along these two slopes. I mean, this is for steelmaking coal. I mean, I've read lots on social media where people are saying it's the, you know, it's not the 1800s. We don't need to have coal for power. Well, the fact of the matter of this coal is not for power. It's for steelmaking. And if people look at their everyday lives and look what they have around them, you need steel. And uh, we have some of the top quality steel in the world. And, uh, you know, we uh, we do a good job of mining. We're good miners in Canada. And, uh you know, we look forward to being able to uh, help with the economic recovery of the province. Uh, we look at being able to provide good paying jobs and help out municipalities and regions uh, where people are going to have good paying jobs. And, uh, you know, uh, this whole fallacy about we're going to, you know, that we're going to knock the top off the mountains. Uh, I do take a little uh, disagreement with that. I mean, we uh, we do mine coal. Uh you know, I've been involved in the eastern uh, slopes since 1979. I worked at Cardinal River, uh, work, uh, got Chevyed up and running uh, through these hearings, uh, been involved with Grand Cash Coal, uh, work now for the Coal Association and are involved with the, uh, the miners down in the uh, Crow's Nest Pass area. So what do you I mean, are you saying I mean, we've talked to we've heard from a whole bunch of different people. Um, you know, David Luff was on yesterday, one of the architects of the coal policy in the 70s under Lougheed. We've talked to ranchers. We talked to journalist uh, Andrew Nicky Fork, who obviously has no time for this type of project. Are, are you taking issue with with what what these folks are suggesting about selenium in the water and about disruption to the, the mountains and about the, what they call sort of the farce of of, of uh, you know, putting this all back together and turning it back into 
you know, what they might describe as, as an acceptable version of what was there before? Do you believe that, that people are not telling the truth about some of these environmental concerns? Well, you know, I mean, what's what is selenium? Ask the average person what selenium is, if they can give you an answer. I'm not a scientist, but basically it's salt. And so you have a leaching of, uh, of salt into the water from the uh, pits that have been mined. And people continue to compare the Elk Valley to the eastern slopes of the Rockies. And as I've said before, it's apples and oranges. Uh, you know, down in the Elk Valley, you have, you know, about 50 to 60 years of legacy mining. Uh, and, you know, they did the best they could with the technology they had. And even today, I mean, tech is spending hundreds of millions of dollars on uh, on water issues and, and trying to get that right. And uh, when I look at the eastern slopes, uh, you're talking about mines are going into brownfield sites such as uh, Grassy. You look at Montem Resources as a brownfield site. Uh, the new technologies, uh, the science that's coming out uh, is changing the way we mine. Uh, you know, even reclamation. Uh, when we looked at reclamation years ago, they would mine a pit and mine a mine an area, and then they go back and reclaim it when they're done. Uh, the new uh, the new uh, mining practices are going on, and Grassy has raised this in the hearings, is that they're going to reclaim as they mine. So uh, you know, we're looking forward to uh, you know to the to the new technologies and the new way of mining. You know, we we post our reclamation bonds before we even start. Uh, so the money is there for the reclamation, and uh, and we we take pride in, in the work we do after we're done mining. I mean, you know, when I came out west to uh, to work at Cardinal River, I came out one because of the jobs, but I also came out because I liked where we lived. I liked the fact that you know we could fish, hunt, trap, uh, you know, ATV use, and uh, you know it's it's something that we've really enjoyed. We've got a uh, strong audience engagement this morning, and I'm not surprised to see it, Robin. Uh, Laura says, Robin, you've said publicly uh, in debating Calgary last fall, selenium will be an issue. It's the high levels of selenium that's poisoned. Tech has spent nearly a billion dollars trying to address the issue, said it can't keep selenium leaching into the water downstream from where leases have been sold. Uh, Eric is watching this morning. He says, he says, you know, I know that Robin Campbell's a, a proud fishing guide. Um, he says that selenium is an issue. You should ask him if he would catch and eat fish downstream from tech in the Elk Valley. That's from Eric. So would you? Sure. I'd, I'd eat fish. I mean, Lake Cucanoso. I mean, I, I had friends down in the Elk Valley that worked at Sparwood, uh, went and fished there for kokanee all the time. Had no problem eating those fish. I will say also, you know, talking about the fishing, one of the things I am uh, excited about is that the, four of the companies in the Crow's Nest Pass area, even though they're not uh, in operation, even though they haven't been approved yet to uh, to mine, uh, have all agreed to uh, work with the provincial government uh, to uh, help enhance the fisheries and and make sure that the watershed uh, is uh, is safe. Uh, matter of fact, we uh, we've had some conversations with uh, about Alberta Environment already, and we have another meeting coming up uh, January twenty eighth. So uh, one of the things I talked to our companies about and we're going to uh, pursue is I want to make sure that uh, we involve First Nations in the uh, water issues. Uh, I want to hire young Aboriginal students, uh, get them trained up, uh, get them degrees in, in such things as biology and agriculture and have them actually work along the watershed uh, to make sure that long term uh, we're doing the right thing. Uh, got a comment here from from Don who says, uh, having worked in the Grand Cache region myself in the 70s in the open pit operations there, he says the destruction to the land is palpable. 
Um, he says in looking at the experience of BC versus tech resource metallurgical mining, he says the fish in the Elk River Valley have been greatly impacted. Uh, he cites a, a tw- Robin. I'm getting like full reports from people. I, I don't. This doesn't happen often for tacos. But people are people are, are this, these look like like uh, thesis papers. He says with the 2014 Environment Canada report uh, noting the likely total collapse of the cutthroat trout population from selenium pollution. Uh, he says he's worried about native trout species in the Old Man River watershed. Uh, and he wonders about, uh, you know, pollution from coal mining impacting cattle downstream people. He says all life impacted by selenium excesses. So for people that, are, that aren't part of the process here, what should give the general public confidence at a time? Frankly, Robin, I think you'd probably acknowledge this, too, where people are having a hard time trusting this government. Uh, what should give people the confidence that this is going to be managed properly? Well, I mean, I'll say this, Ryan, we're coal miners. We don't set policy. We don't set regulations. We follow them. And so we will do everything within our means to follow the uh, policies and regulations that both the federal and provincial government have put in place. Um, you know, uh, you, we have a panel right now, the Grassy hearings. That panel is going through a ton of evidence. Uh, the hearings have been going on since October. Uh, I think they finished next week. And uh, I'm sure that when they come out with the rulings, if they are in favor of the mine going ahead, there's going to be, you know, hundreds of conditions that the miners are going to have to meet uh, before they before they commence mining. So. You know, I look at what happened up in Cheviot. Uh, a lot of these arguments I heard when I was up there, uh, you know, 25 years ago. And, uh, you know, I'm proud of the work that was done at Cheviot. Uh, I'm proud of the reclamation that was done up in that area at, at Cardinal and Greg River. And, uh, you know, I, I have confidence that uh, through the regulatory process and through the panel hearings and their recommendations that we will do a good job moving forward. Uh, Robin, as you know, yesterday, uh, country singer Corb Lund uh, joined us on the program after the fact when he when he heard that you and I were going to be speaking, he actually passed along a question for your consideration. So this is a question to you uh, from country singer Corb Lund, who says, judging from my long conversations with major proponents of this change, Mr. Campbell included the main argument in support seems to be economic, namely royalties and job creation. He says, my understanding is that most or all of the coal leases so far have been awarded to foreign mining companies that the royalty rate Albertans receive is negligible. And in some cases, most of the coal to be mined is freehold. He says, and the crown will get no royalties at all, though I'm sure there will be some jobs created. There's no way the benefits outweigh the cost of potential water contamination and other environmental effects downstream, not to mention possible impacts on tourism and agricultural economies. It just doesn't add up for me, says Corblund. From an economic perspective, the risks seem very high. Why is this a good idea? What would you say to him and everybody else that's going to hear you answer the question? Well, you know, I talked to Corb yesterday. Matter of fact, he had reached out to me before he was on your show and we were supposed to have a conversation. He never got back to me and I emailed him again. And of course, we did, we had a pretty good conversation yesterday, probably about 45 minutes to an hour and nice. with a gentleman by the name of Steve, one of his rancher friends. Um, you know, we're going to create jobs and we coal miners make good money. And, is you know, and the fact of the matter is, is that we pay income tax. And we do pay taxes to municipalities. So we're going to help with the infrastructure of municipalities. Uh, you know, our, our miners uh, are involved in all kinds of different things. We're not just coal miners. We're involved in minor sports. We're involved in the Kinsman Club, the Lions Club. Uh, we're community members. And, uh, you know, you can't put a price on that. Uh, people that volunteer in the community and want to be involved and help out. Uh, you know, I look at, our, I look at uh, the areas I used to represent in Hinton, Grand Cash, uh, Etson, even Jasper, uh, you know, uh, coal miners were integral parts of the community, Saddle Town Council. Uh, so we do a lot in the area. And again, I, I have, I'm 
quite confident that on the water issues that there will be mitigation put in place by the panel and there'll be uh, uh, continual monitoring uh, by the government, both federally and provincially, to make sure that the water quality is at a, at a rate that's okay to drink. And you know, as what I said to people yesterday, you know, the miners that are working at these mines, you know, live in that area and they're going to drink the same water. So, you know, we're going to take uh, a lot of care. I mean, we're not going to, we don't want to poison our own miners that are living anywhere from uh, the Crow's Nest right over to Lethbridge. I would suggest there'll be people uh, applying for jobs at Grassy and at the uh, subsequent mines in the area. Uh, yesterday, we, we had a, uh, an impromptu performance. Uh, I'm not meaning to make this all about Corb Line, but it was powerful yesterday. On he impromptu picked up his guitar and sang a tune for us. This is my prairie, and one of the lines in the song says, um, "You know, he says this is my prairie, this is my home, and I'll make my stand here and I'll die alone. Well, they can drill and they can mine on my smoldering bones. This is my prairie, this is my home." He goes on to say. Um, he says, the water's poisoned. My calves are all dead. Just wait, Robin. He, he says, my children are sick and the aquifers bled. They want a big pipeline right through Pops Grove. But this is my prairie. This is my home. I can't blame the riggers or the guys driving truck for feeding their families and making a buck. But take a close look at the stock that you own, because this is my prairie and this is my home. And I think that's big because you talk about communities like Jasper and Hinton and Grand Cash. I have family in Grand Cash. They, they can't sell their house. They can't rent it out. It's devastating. The community's been devastated. We understand. We want to see our Albertans at work. We look at communities like Hannah and Brooks and, 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 and Rocky Mountain House. And Robin, you and I could go on and there's a long list. And we know that the stress is real. And we know that people have not worked in some cases for years. And they're on their second mortgage and lines of credit are maxed out. There's no question that people need work and there's no question that Alberta has an abundance of coal and there's no question that there's a long history and that it can be lucrative. The question is, who is it lucrative for? So, so when we're talking about it at, at full capacity here, you know, with full, uh, you know, build out of these category two lands, how many jobs are we talking about? How many Albertans would be employed? And, and what are we talking about for the province's bottom line? I mean, I've seen people say, you know, that we could be talking $2 million a year over the next 20 to 30 years, like 60 million total uh, and then it begs the question, well, is it even worth it? So what numbers can you I mean, there's no doubt they're in the Lions Club and the Kinsmen and they pay their taxes for sure. But are we talking like 10 jobs in the community or, or are we talking 1500? We're, we're talking thousands of jobs uh, riding up and down the eastern slopes. I mean, if you have a, a mine that's going to employ 350 people, you know, the, the conservative economics are that for every full time job, there's three offshoots. So if you have a mine of 300 people. You're going to have, you know, anywhere from 1,000 to 1,200 jobs that are going to be attached to that mine site. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm a fourth generation miner, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, my family's been in coal since back back to Scotland. And uh, there's others ups and downs in the coal industry, just as there's ups and downs in any commodity market, uh, whether you're talking forestry, whether you're talking the cattle industry, for that example. I mean, we had lots of problems in Alberta with the cattle industry with uh with the uh, with the scares we had and the fact that the markets dropped and uh, countries were uh, boycotting uh, Canadian beef, so uh, you know nothing is guaranteed. Uh, but I will say that uh, you know we are going to do everything we can to be uh, efficient and, and pro uh, productive. And uh, you know, I mean, most of the jobs, well, I will say, ninety nine percent of the jobs are going to be in Canada. Even though it's foreign investment, uh, these are Canadians and Albertans that are going to take these jobs and are, are going to raise their families. 
So uh, will will an Australian investor make some money? Sure, they will. Just like any other investor, whether they're from the United States, look at our look at our oil and gas industry. Where do most of our companies come from? You know, and we saw that uh, with the problems we had, and everybody moved their head offices to uh, to the states out of Calgary. I mean, people make money working in those jobs, and that's all we can ask for. We we want people to invest in this province. We want people to invest in this country, and from that we uh, provide livelihoods for people, and uh, you know. You know, we do a good job in Canada, not just in the coal industry. You know, and I mean, you know, you know, if you read the headlines right now, uh, you know, China's not buying coal from Australia. That's a big deal. But guess where China's getting their coal from right now? They're getting it from Russia. Does Russia have human rights standards? Do they have good health and safety? I, I was in Russia back in the early 90s. I went underground in the Ukraine. And I can tell you that it was one of the scariest things in my life. I didn't know if I was coming back up or not. So... You know, we uh, we do a good job of looking after the environment. We have some of the strictest environmental regulations in the world, uh, and they're enforced. Uh, we have good labor standards. We have good health and safety. Uh, you know, and that's all we can ask for. And uh, we will work under the under the uh, the rules that the uh, government puts in place. Whether you like the government or not, they're the ones that put the policies in place and the regulations, and we, we follow those regulations. Yeah, I mean, and 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 sure, you're 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 doing your business, and you follow the regulations of the industry, and there's there's no requirement for for any industry to exceed the regulations that are in front of them, regardless of what industry we're talking about. That's a fact, obviously. Um, you know, we, we, we talk about I mean, there, there are First Nations groups opposing this. There's obviously outcry from ranchers and, 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 and you know, I mean, r- real, I mean, you know, zero consultation outside of maybe consultations with the Coal Association, the provincial government against the advice of its own public servants did not consult on this as a former minister of the crown. Why do you think that's the case? I mean, uh, real talk here, Robin, that has to concern you. The province isn't consulting really with anybody in meaningful fashion on this. Why do you think that's the case? Well, you know, let me step back first. You talked about First Nations. We've consulted with all the First Nations in the areas, the ones that we have to, and we've got impact benefit agreements with a number of them. Uh, you know, there's people within the different commu- uh, First Nation communities that aren't happy, but we deal with the leadership and we go out, we consult with the leadership and they've signed the impact benefit agreements and they've came out and said, we support uh, Grassy, for example, uh, the Pakani Nation, uh, Chief Stan Greer. So, you know, we've done our piece uh, in going out. We went out and had town halls. We've talked to community members. Uh, you know, I can't speak for the government. I'm not in government. So I, you know, I don't know what the rationale is uh, behind some of the decisions you're making. I, I shake my head on some of them. Uh, you know, even, you know, people say, well, you know, they only consulted with the Coal Association. That's not true. Uh, they didn't even really consult with us. Uh, they came out and said, this is what we're going to do. But it and makes your it. job more difficult, right? I mean, it makes your because I mean, when, when a government rams something through with with zero meaningful consultation and then you're here um, already, like, let, let's be honest, Robin, uh, you know, you're, you're you know, the coal industry, there, there's there's a strong economic argument, I suppose you're telling us and there's de- there's still demand. I mean, I've seen pretty effective messaging. Let me say from the Coal Association, it's effective messaging to talk about the steel. It's smart to talk about the steel, where it's going. They said, hey, to build these these wind towers for wind uh, for renewable energy generation. Here's how much steel we need. That's smart marketing. There's no question there's demand. But you're here having to answer. I mean, people can push out. We're getting photos submitted to us from people in, in coal communities saying, you know, there's this light dusting, this black on top of the snow. They're saying there's obviously environmental impact here. You have to face the music. You have to talk to Albertans and Canadians about this. And in my opinion, the way the government's handling this, it makes your job difficult. It makes it appear as though the government's trying to ram something through, trying to hide something. Would you agree? 
I, I don't think they're trying to hide something, uh, Ryan. I mean, you know, I don't agree with everything the government of the day is doing right now. I mean, you know, as a, as a former minister of, you know, they always say the environment, but I was also a former minister of Aboriginal relations and a former minister of finance and government house leader. So, you know, I watch what's going on and yeah, there's some things I question, but you know, it's a tough job that the government has uh, in some pretty trying times. And, uh, you know, it's easy to, to take shots at them. Uh, I don't do that because uh, I'm not at the table. And, uh, you know, I don't know what's going around the cabinet table. I don't know what, what the thought process is. Uh, so, you know, will I defend the government on their decisions? Uh, no, I'm not going to defend them. It's not my job to defend the government. My job is to promote the coal industry, and, that, and that's what I do. Uh, and, you know, are we happy that the, uh, the policy has been rescinded? Well, yes and no. Because uh, I say to people, now that the policy is rescinded, what has changed? Tell me what has changed. People still have to go through a process that want to want to invest their money. There's still there's still joint federal provincial hearings. Uh, there's still a, a whole bunch of licensing that uh, companies have to go through. Uh, we still have to consult with First Nations. Uh, you know, the government will say to us whether or not we've done our duty to consult with the nations. So all everything that was there before the policy is still there. Our job hasn't gotten any easier. And, you know, people say, well, you know, category two lands. Well, there's, you look at Rocky Mountain House, there's two operations up at the Rocky Mountain House that want to go ahead. Those, those are in category two lands. They were there long before the coal policies was rescinded. I look at uh, Grassy Mountain, that, that's seven years in the making right now, Grassy Mountain. That was long before the coal policies were rescinded. Same with Montum, same with Atrum. All of these companies have been there while the coal policy was still in place. So, you know, if, if uh, you know, if the government was to rescind the coal policy and all of a sudden it was just carte blanche, you know, it was the old Wild West again, do what you want. Yeah, I'd have some concerns about that. And I, I think the general public should have some concerns. But that's not what's happening. The process is still there. You still have to follow all the policies and regulations that both the federal and provincial government have in place before you can mine coal. Robin, I've got- and So when I look at Gra Grassy, we're talking seven years, Ryan that that process is going through before they even mind announce the coal. In, in other words, the point you're making is that it's it's not necessarily, though it may appear to be rammed through, it's not being rammed through. Is that the point of you talking about the seven-year process? Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, yeah. the, the everything is still there. You let still me, have to go through the process. Robin, let me ask you in closing, because just because I, you know, we've got we've got a, a, a guest, and then we've got three more guests for the next interview, all in the bullpen here. I appreciate your time this morning. Let yeah, me ask you, sure. just in, in the interest of furthering the conversation, and I appreciate your candid answers today. Uh, you know, you say, are, you say, am I glad that the government rescinded the coal policy? Yes and no. That intrigues me. I mean, you're the president of the Coal Association of Canada. So some people may be thinking, well, I would think he'd want to be pedal to the metal, tear up the coal policy. I mean, that's good news. Open for business. What concerns do you have? You, you say yes and no with regards to are you happy the policies, Lahid's policy has been torn up. Why are you not happy about it? Well, I'm not happy about it because people don't understand what's going on. And so, you know, we're spending time today talking to you about uh, about a policy that is outdated and that a number of different policies and regulations have been put in place. Uh, the process is still there. Uh, we still have to consult with First Nations. Uh, we still have to go through the joint panel hearings. We still do our open houses. Uh, you know, we still have to depend on the government to, uh, once the, the panel goes through their decision-making process, we still have to wait on the government to say yay or nay. So, uh, you know, people are all torqued up uh, because they weren't consulted. You know, I was in government seven years and held three uh, three cabinet positions and sat in cabinet for seven years. And I can tell you, there's lots that goes on that we don't go out and consult. 
we, we look at the information we have and decisions are made. Uh, where we're going to find out whether we did the right thing or not is going to be at the ballot box, uh, whether people are going to be happy with what we do or not happy with what we do. So, uh, you know, there's a bigger conversation that has to be had on the political side of things, Ryan, which I'd be happy to sit down and talk to you one day. And I think, you know, uh, all the fishermen that are upset, uh, I think there's a bigger conversation that has to be held on fishing in southwest Alberta. Uh, you know, and we should have that conversation. Uh, but I say as an industry, we're going to do what we can to help enhance the fisheries and we're going to do what we can to make sure that the watershed stays viable. All right. Robin Campbell's president of the Coal Association of Canada. Appreciate your time this morning, Robin. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Take care. Of yeah, you bet. You as well. Uh, OK, so 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 Robin says there he goes, you know, or is it the right decision? Is it the wrong decision? And He's right. It's not his job to speak on behalf of government. But as a former minister and as a well-respected former politician uh, now working in private industry, it's a fair question. Obviously, how do you feel about the way that government's managing this? It winds up in his lap one way or another. And he's not wrong when he says that, uh, you know, the government will find out how the people feel about it at the ballot box. The question is, what will have happened in the meantime? Right. I saw somebody post a, a photo the other day. It was a, it was a cartoon of, of two people looked like in Manhattan or somewhere like that. And, you know, Godzilla is there like, you know, or, or some some creature anyway. It was it was a, you know, a, sort of a graphic image of, the, of this this dragon esque this massive creature, like knocking down buildings and breathing fire and tearing things down. And the one individual says to the other, don't worry, he'll be out of here in a week. So you, you kind of say, well, what's the impact of this? Uh, we're going to blow through a, a nine o'clock newscast here because we've got fire chiefs ready to go. But in the meantime, uh, Jason Doucette has reached out to the show. I've interviewed Jason a couple of times. He's a fascinating fella because he's a, a, a competitive champion fly fisherman. <laughs> yeah, that's right. How cool is that? He's president, as a matter of fact, of the Alberta Competitive Fly Fishing and conservation of Alberta competitive fly fishing and conservation kind enough to make a few moments for us this morning Jason welcome to real talk and thanks for reaching out thank you very much for having me appreciate congratulations on this show I, I so many people have talked about this show and how you've overcome the adversity that was given to you it's inspiring to a lot of people. I just wanted to let you know that, Ryan. Well, Jason, I, I really appreciate that. Thanks very much. And, and, and I will let that resonate for the next couple of hours. Uh, let, let's get to this. Uh, we're going to be turning the page on this conversation momentarily in a few minutes, but I want to make sure we hear your perspective. You reached out. You wrote me an essay. You're really concerned about this. Tell our tell our audience. I mean, you and you had a chance to hear from Robin Campbell there as well himself. He says an angler, a fishing guide, um, a fourth generation miner. Do you buy what he's selling? How are you feeling after you heard what he had to say? I, you know, he's, he's good at what he does. Uh, I respect his words, but I'm, I'm going to be honest. You know, when we talk about reclamation in this province and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about mining oil and gas, oil sands, you know what? There's a real problem with reclamation in this province. You know, we talk about these responsibilities up front and this money that's that's put, you know, aside. But you know what? We're still left with a problem in the end. You know, we can look at the orphan well situation in Alberta and how Albertans are going to have to face that problem eventually. How many people are going to be on the hook when, you know, these these companies pull out in future um, and we are left with those water problems. We are left with those piles of rock and, and that leaching material. Um, you can't undo that work, Ryan. CJ Ballard. Uh, no, go ahead, Jason. Carry on. Yeah. So the other thing that resonated with me, and it's, it's kind of a problem with me 
in this uh, in this uh, province right now under the current governance, talking about you know we're going to enhance the fisheries. Well, guess what? Uh, this is all along Highway 40. There's been books written about the angling, uh, how great it was, and currently isn't too bad. We've got bull trout, we've got cutthroat trout, but. You know, the, the discussion of the, for me, it's kind of a joke when we talk about enhancing the fishery, we're talking about stocked ponds. You know, they we're in the end, uh, mining companies have, you know, they're, they're, they buy off the public. Oh, we're going to create these coal, uh, reclaimed coal pit ponds. Yeah, it's a fishery stocked with rainbow trout, uh, farmed rainbow trout. Uh, this does not replace wild rivers of bull trout and West Slope cutthroat trout that are all along Highway 40. And with 140 kilometers of continuous mining up and down the Highway 40 4th Street Trunk Road, these, these fish are already at peril. Uh, I can tell you it's it's not going to be long till we lose them, Ryan. CJ Ballard's watching in uh, tweeting at us says, what about the destruction of headwaters for the critical habitat of schedule one species like bull trout, West Slope cutthroat trout? Jobs are important, but destroying critical habitat, water withdrawals, poor water quality that affects people and wildlife doesn't seem worth it for coal. Um, you know, I don't have like I wish that I had a a, a, um, a science adjudicator, some sort of expert. Um, what we need really on the show w with respect to any guest, I'm saying generally speaking, we, we could use a live real time bullshit detector that would sound the alarm. The, the, the needle could meh, 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 when we have certain claims that are being made. Um, I'm not saying Robin Campbell's bullshitting. I'm not saying he's not because I'm not a biological scientist. I'm not an expert on on watersheds. Um, he says he says when we talk about selenium, he says we're basically talking about salt. And a lot of people are concerned about it. I saw someone wrote in and said comparing selenium to salt is like comparing hydrogen peroxide to water. They're, they're like it's disingenuous. Um, now, you're an angler. You're you're you're, mo you're concerned about the environment. You're most concerned about water. That's why you've reached out to us. Uh, have you done any digging on selenium? Do you have any anecdotal evidence? Do you have any? Can you reference any scientific studies? Do you have any insight into this in that specific area? I think the the studies done in the Elk River showing the deformities of the cutthroat trout there, where where the densities of selenium are highest, speak for themselves. Now, anecdotally, I can talk about the Gray River south of Hinton that has had the same thing happen to it. The Gray River was once known for its incredible bull trout fishing, and Athabasca rainbow trout. Um, through a number of cumulative impacts, but selenium being one of them, the the fishing has deteriorate, deteriorated over the years there. So yeah, um, the impacts are there. Um, yes, I, I, I'm sympathetic, empathetic to those that, that need jobs, but the bottom line is, um, I used to spend a lot of time south of Hinton. You know, I heard the word Cheviot come up. In 2002, I created my own radio show just to speak to the problems that the Cheviot mine was going to um, create for people that love the outdoors, not just hikers, not just hunters, not just fishermen, everybody that, that enjoys the outdoors. 
I lost personally lost some incredible elk hunting and Athabasca rainbow trout fishing. I've got to be honest with you. I went back for the first time this summer since 2002 and saw what's happened there. I got to tell you, I, I'm an emotional guy sometimes, and it was hard not to stand, um, you know, at Mountain Park and, and do a 360 and see the piles of rock, the pipes running everywhere, and then those really conspicuous no trespassing signs that never come down. Um, that's the one thing with these mines, the, the, the no trespassing signs, they never come down even after the operations have stopped. These places aren't accessible to us. You know, that's a big problem for me, and I can tell you it's a big problem for a lot of people. So I stick with Cheviot. You know, that hit me right here. Um, yeah, there's a lot of jobs that were created, but you know what? That scar's not leaving the land anytime soon, Ryan. Jason, some other time... Uh, when we have more time and, and the, the, the pace of today's show, we have uh, how many guests do we have on one, two, three, four, five, six, at least seven. So one of these days we're going to get like one guest and it'll be you. Uh, we're we're going to give someone a stipend or a burst. We'll find some cash for somebody to stand. I don't know, 30 feet away from you in the bow or whatever river is your favorite. All right. And they'll film you like on a fisheye perspective and we'll put an earpiece in your ear so you can communicate with us. And we'll just we'll watch you fly fish for like an hour and, and we'll let the silence breathe and then we'll ask you questions and pick your brain and, and maybe you can take us in uh, waiters and all what do you think sometime would you be up for that absolutely 100 percent. that's what i want to do because i want to to me competitive fly fishing seems like an oxymoron because aren't you supposed to be all super chill and find your peace in there competitive fly fishing i don't even know how that works the best in the world find that chill and that uh, th that ice cool water running through their veins. Th those are the guys that do the best in in world championships. Yeah, so well, they it, find somehow. But yeah, it is a little bit of a ironic statement, isn't it? Yeah, well, if there if there's if there's one thing I know about fly fishing, it's like, you know, there are, there are people that have no idea about it uh, that can appreciate the poetry of it. You know, like we watch a river runs through it and we've seen the, the, the iconic images of the line halfway through ready to be snapped. And then you have kind of the hack anglers like me. We're like spin casters, rod and reel guys. I couldn't tie a fly. I don't even know what I'm doing, but I can appreciate it. And then you have the hardcores, you know, the men and women that are tying their own flies that would love to hear from you as well. So that's what we'll do. I'm serious. We'll make a plan. What's what's like the what's the prime time for fly fishing? What would be the best month for us to check in with you on that? I'd say anything uh, July, August, July, August. I um, love it. The Bow River, the Bow River is hot right now, too, during the winter. So, hey, all good. OK, um, I think one thing I want to say before you go, there is a Facebook page. It's not my Facebook page, but it is galvanizing a lot of people from a different from different walks of life. Uh, it's Albertans against open pit coal mining. Within a couple of weeks, they've got 38 or 3,900 uh, followers. Uh, anybody that is interested or wants to go and protect this, I'd say go there because there's something happening. We There's people out that are looking to back those, the, the judicial reviews and all of that court challenges. There's a number of people out there that are willing to donate time, money, uh, their name to it. And I would really encourage, this is the one thing that I need to say, there are a lot of guides and fly fishing media who are sitting on their hands right now, not knowing what to do or keeping quiet because they don't want to stir the pot. But I got to say, this is the time you need to come out from the closet and stir that pot. Oh, yeah. 
This is a pot that demands to be stirred. Uh, and we're proud to be the we're proud to be the stir stick, pal. Uh, Jason, we'll talk to you next time we talk to you. You'll be uh, waist deep in water. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for this. Thank you for your time. Take care. Yeah, you got it. Jason Doucette is the president of Alberta Competitive Fly Fishing and Conservation. Uh, Fire Chiefs, in just a second, I want to read a couple of these comments. Um, you know, Laura's watching in. She says the coal policy was outdated. Uh, that's what Robin Campbell said. She, she said but the policy was visionary. Uh, we heard that from David Luff yesterday. David Luff was on our show um, the former one of one of the architects of the Lougheed era coal policy it was interesting to hear from him. We could have talked to just him for like an hour. Uh, Becky hits up the uh, real talk RJ hashtag. She says, you know, Mr. Campbell, Robin Campbell made multiple lobbying visits to this government to get policy and regulation changed. I mean, that that's his job, right? He's doing his job. Uh, Becky says he's not just a coal miner. He's obviously former educate former environment minister. And it seems like he was the only one they consulted before they removed the coal policy. I thought that was kind of a funny quote. I mean, it's not funny. When Robin Campbell said, you know, people are saying they only consulted us. He says they, they, they didn't really even consult us. Uh, Michael says these folks, these companies have, have blathered the same spiel to landowners and municipalities through history. The same folks folded up their tents and, and have left Albertans with an environmental mess to clean up. The coal lobby can frack themselves. That from Michael, who says no mining in Grassy Mountain. I want to point out to you, several of you have, have put on my radar a petition that Canadians are signing. The deadline is January 15th. I, I don't know much about it except to say that I was happy to retweet it. If you want to see it, it's on my Twitter profile. Michael says, you know, yeah, I mean, this probably is lucrative business to the owners of these companies. Aaron, the barbarian, says we're cutting off the top of our mountains for China. Doesn't make sense. Young Leslie says, you know, regarding the comment from Mr. Campbell, we're minors. We don't set policy. We follow it. That's a passe attitude. Says mining companies have an obligation to follow best practices, to follow science. Elise is watching. She says, we've, well, we're doing the bare minimum. We should be allowed to do whatever we want. That's just on the Real Talk RJ hashtag. On our live YouTube comments, uh, Heather says, you got to get a science, not a recreational fisherman to argue against this. Yeah, we had a scientist yesterday and, and we're, we're hitting this from 100 different angles. You want the science on this? We get a scientist. You want to understand the background on how it happens? We talk to a lobbyist. You want to understand realistically why people are pissed off and concerned? We talk to anglers and ranchers and people that are affected. You're, you're going to hear I know it takes some some getting used to at some point because, you know, some of you might be coming in. You're used to mediocre, lousy talk shows where they put in the minimum effort. They they only have one ideology. They they hammer their you know, they beat one drum. You know, you've seen people that play drums, drum kits. You can see the skins that get beat the most and you can see the ones that barely get touched. When we do our drum fills, we cover the kit. We hit every tom there is. We hit every symbol. We should get a. We should get like a. We, I would love a drum kit. Well, we need a bigger studio first. We could do. We could have yeah. a snare drum like before a big interview. A crash cymbal when there's a <laughs> when there's a great question that's asked. Ken says the government's the, its own enemy with these types of projects. If they showed that they were serious about collecting sufficient reclamation funds and enforcing regulations, people would trust them. We don't. Ken has hit the nail on the head. We talk about orphan wells. I always think of Orson Wells when I hear that. But orphan wells, we, we talk about the the deficit, the liabilities that Alberta has right now. And, and by the way, federal taxpayers are propping us up on this. The federal government are the ones that are earmarking the hundreds of millions of dollars right now that we're going to need. I'm not saying anybody deserves congratulations here. Everybody's dropped the ball. 
the oil companies, the owners like W. Brett Wilson, who have left Albertans with these environmental liabilities, walking away from their orphan wells. Remind Brett of that every time he tweets. And then levels of government. How the hell did we wind up with all these liabilities? We did. And Ken's right. People don't trust. They don't trust anymore. Christine says fishers, hunters, ranchers are the best conservationists, the best stewards of the environment. If the animals can't live anywhere, the ecosystem's done. Others are saying, you know, Lorraine says we need to organize. We need to make a protest that shocks this government into backing down. We need to eliminate the UCP in the next election. Others are saying, Jespa, you don't need a bullshit detector. We are your bullshit detectors. Thank you for being here. Appreciate that. Heather, meantime, throwing a little spitting a little fire. She says, hey, the fly fishing industry has negative impacts on fish stocks in the environment as well. Interesting. All right, let's move on. This this is uh, I better get in a couple of uh, sponsor reads or we're going to end up with with 10 of them to do at the end of the show. So before we get to the fire chiefs who are being remarkably patient, I owe each one of them a six pack and I will pay it out. Uh, we want to let you know how grateful we are to be partnering with Dairy Queen. Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park have been with us since the very beginning. And it's working out well for them, they say, because real talkers keep showing up to their six locations in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park and dropping the fact that they're real talkers and they're there for a reason keep tweeting me the photos of your blizzards and dilly bars and ice cream cakes i'm loving it it warms the cockles of my heart right now boxes of six dilly bars are two for one for real talkers and they've got dairy free dilly bars as well you just said your heart's being warmed by things that are ice cream yes that i don't know if that's how cold things work i'm a wordsmith oh okay yes i'm a wordsmith saint albert sherwood dodge is your home not just for Dodge, but Jeep as well. And 2021 is going to be a huge year. It is a huge year for the Jeep brand, including the return of the luxury full-size SUV, the Grand Wagoneer. I'm super excited to see it. But they've got a wide selection of every Jeep model, the fuel-efficient and capable Compass, and then those big jacked-up Wranglers and Gladiators. I need a vehicle called a Gladiator to go to the grocery store and back. You can find him in St. Albert, brand new dealership, Sherwood uh, Dodge as well. Go see Scott and his team today. And Local Waste, we appreciate their sponsorship. You know, they're proud to be partnering with local groups, talking on a first name basis over the phone, old school, to make sure that whether you're a an independent proprietor, a small business, or a big grocery store, or a mall, that you're getting the service you need when it comes to waste management, recycling. Chris and Lauren Labossier want your business, and they want to talk to you today, 780-242-9746. These fire chiefs have been sitting here waiting while we've been talking about fly fishing, and I'm so grateful for their patience. Uh, fellas, I owe each of you a cold six-pack, and if I know anything about how how fire halls work, I better show up with cases or cubes of 36, because I, don't, I, I think that we're going to make sure that everybody's well-watered here. Let's get to who we're talking about uh, before we get into the brass tacks. Jody Butts is the fire chief uh, for Fort McMurray, Word Buffalo, uh, Wood Buffalo. Mark Rathwell is the fire chief for the city of Lethbridge. Ken McMullen is the fire chief for the city of Red Deer. Thank you all for being here today. We appreciate your availability. Well, thanks for having us. Thanks very much. Uh, Chiefs, I think maybe I'll maybe I'll just kind of go by name to make this easy. And 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 Chief Rathwell, why don't why don't we uh, get into this with you first? When we talk about nine one one dispatch changes to how emergency calls will be managed in the province of Alberta, two municipalities saw changes go into effect on Tuesday. Uh, that's Lethbridge and Red Deer, correct? Wood Buffaloes is coming up at the end of this week, and we'll talk to Chief Butts about that. Uh, so, Chief Rathwell, what what does this mean for the city of Lethbridge? Why are you here today? So. 
uh, I guess the, the main reason we're here today is, is to talk about those changes and, and the impact that it's going to have on what we've traditionally done as an integrated service. Uh, there, there is a potential for this change to actually impact the city in a way that, that we have to actually change the whole modeling of how we've done business for the last hundred years. Uh, Lethbridge has been an integrated service for more than a hundred years. And, and then to see these pieces as they start getting pulled off and siloed out, uh, it, it has impacts and there's real dollar impacts that our city has to uh, look at. And th that is a, a extreme concern for us. And so as we go through these changes, we want to make sure we have a critical eye on it and, and sort of follow the data and the trending uh, and the impacts on our service. Chief McMullen, the the city of Red Deer uh, uh, obviously is, is going to be part of this, is going to be impacted by this as well. It's early. We're two days into this. Uh, have you already seen evidence that the, that the, the change is going to have some noticeable differences? Or, I mean, take this into it uh, from your perspective. Let's drop into this. Sure. Well, well, thank you and good morning uh, to my colleagues and friends. Uh, we've been working near and dear on this for, for a number of months. And Ryan, thanks for having us on your show. And, and not to sidebar, I know that you had the, the mayors on your show last week and they continue to advocate uh, right up till the bitter end. And for us, the bitter end did occur on Tuesday um, around 10 in the morning. You know, sure, there's, there's some changes and our, our staff are probably overly sensitive and overly critical of uh, the process that's now in place for dispatching of, of ambulances in our communities. And, and uh, so, yeah, there's, there's been a few uh, issues. Uh, you could likely uh, blame those on some technology issues as far as just transitioning what we're used to to what the, uh, the new system is using today. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, we've noticed a few things delayed in some, uh, some responses that we've been catching in the background. Um, so, yeah, there, there's been some, some changes for sure, and, and we'll continue to watch those for the next uh, days, weeks, and months. So when you say that you've already noticed some delays, um, you know, some of my best friends are, are, are firefighters, and, and they'll tell me that the difference between six minutes and seven minutes or six minutes and eight minutes on a response is a big deal. I mean, in some cases, it could mean somebody makes a full recovery or somebody's brain dead, uh, to be frank. Um, so what are you seeing when you say you've already seen those? What are you talking about? Can you give us an example of something that's already happened? Yeah, for us in, in our community, two things that have happened. Uh, and again, it was the very first call uh, that transitioned to EMS dispatch. Uh, it, it took uh, up to a minute for that call to get transferred to an ambulance. And 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 yes, I appreciate it was the first call uh, in, the, in a series of uh, many, many calls that will come their way. Uh, but for us, the first call took a minute to uh, get from the dispatch, pardon me, from the call taker to the dispatcher. Um, and, and we're pretty critical of that because seconds matter. And, and we do know that that makes a, a critical outcome at the end of the day. So Chief Butts, uh, you know, Fort McMurray Wood Buffalo bracing for these changes as well. I think my understanding is that your change is going to affect tomorrow. Uh, what does this mean from your end, logistically, practically? How do you make the adjustment? And, and I would imagine you're going to echo the concerns of your colleagues here, but but what else do people need to be considering? Uh, yeah, and first of all, thank you, Ryan, for listening and giving us the opportunity here because it does matter to all of Albertans. And uh, to Ken's point there, um, our, my, uh, a deep respect for four of the five uh, major mayors in the, in the province uh, We're standing in solidarity on this topic uh, for months now. And I don't know if we've ever seen um, that type of uh, unity on a certain topic, but um, you know, uh, the, uh, we are, uh, we are talking, um, 
Mark and Ken and their teams have been gracious enough uh, to share their stories and we're going to learn from this transition that they're going through. Our transition occurs on January 19th, uh, next Tuesday. Um, But, you know, there's a little bit where we are unique up here in the Wood Buffalo. We're tucked away in the northeast corner of the province. Um, uh, We are, I guess, our uniqueness is our geography. Our next, uh, I guess, AHS's, um, uh, I guess, consolidated EMS model, and it's starting with the dispatch piece here, is is about, um, you know, and they're, they're, they're addressing a one-size-fits-all. Well, uh, we're up here, we're, I guess here's the challenge that they have not been able to answer for us, is that our next ambulance or our support, our next community that, um, you know, that would... That, that's the benefit of this model is they enter, you know, they share resources and a borderless system. And when, when there's uh, ambulances used in one part of the area, you can flex. And, well, our nearest ambulance is three hours away. And um, we're, as you recognize, we're days away and we haven't, they haven't, uh, they haven't communicated with us a plan. So we're, we're really concerned, um, but we are, you know, our staff, uh, we are looking forward. We are, are planning for the, transition and 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 as ken said it is a change um but at the end of the day we you know we have a deep deep responsibility to our residents and all of albertans um to make sure that we're providing the best services we can hey chief what do you what do you mean the nearest ambulance is three hours away so you have fire medics or whatever you call them um but if somebody's having like cardiac arrest or somebody overdoses or there's a poisoning or something like that fire trucks show up how does it work Okay, so um, in 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 it, 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 uh, in in literal sense, uh, uh, the Wood Buffalo region, we're a third-party contractor for ground ambulance, and our next neighbor, and this is to what AHS is suggesting, is that when you are uh, when we need to, if you need more ambulances, we'll just flex that ambulance into your region, and a borderless system, and they can carry on with the calls. Uh, if anybody has, has, has visited our, our region in, in Fort McMurray, our next nearest community with a, with a, with a registered ambulance is Lac Labiche, and that's a three-hour drive away. So, and, and I use this analogy a lot, and here's a little bit of the uniqueness of, of, of what we do up here in, in our region. Um, you've heard Mayor Scott mention that our region is, is bigger, bigger than the province of Nova Scotia, and yet we, have, we, we do this with four ambulances. And our answer to what do we do when all our ambulances are used and how do we support that? Well, our answer is our integrated model. So our, an integrated model means that uh, an indiv- you know, our, our staff, they're dual trained and uh, we can use them on a medical call. We can use them on a fire call. Um, certainly when, when, we show up, when they show up to work, they're assigned a vehicle, they're assigned a task. And, and they go out and do that. But there is, we lean on that integration, that multidiscipline trained employee um, to provide those services. And, and we, and, and it's a very, very uh, high level. Um, uh, it's an, it's, and you heard the mayor say that, you know, 30 years ago, we were the model and so we have slowly been degrading. And this is, uh, um, I, I was listening to your conversation with, uh, with Jason, prior to and he said that now's the time and that's exactly what it is now and now's the time for this conversation because um you know the dispatch 
we're literally handing over the keys to our resources that the you know the ambulance and the staff those are purchased and they're managed or i guess uh, by municipal funds and yet um, what ahs is suggesting or forcing us to do is just um, they are now uh, dictating the movement uh, of those resources that that we have to manage so anyway that's that's uh that, that's kind of the that's the biggest concern that we have um, by siloing EMS outside of our integrated and our co-response. Uh, it, it, there, there's no answer. So we have to lean on that integrated model. Chief Rathwell, I'm, I'm curious to know how your model compares in Lethbridge. My understanding is that that the RM of Wood Buffalo has somewhat of a unique setup. But but how does what what uh, Chief Butts is talking about relate or compare to Lethbridge? I mean, do you have some of the similar concerns or, or are your concerns along an entirely different avenue? So it, our, our primary concern is exactly the same. We are here to take care of people uh, and in our communities when they're in trouble. So that's our commonality. That's where we start from. The, the pieces that change slightly in our integrated models is, is how we adjust that. And, and, and that's okay. It's good to have differences and, and, and it works out well for our communities and we found our efficiencies there. The, the key part here though, when you talk about integrated is that these aren't just paramedics and they're not just firefighters, they're both. And they wear those two hats and they wear them proudly uh, because those are two com very distinct uh, uh, sort of training models that you have to go through. But those staff, when, they're, when, when you have those cross-trained staff like that, the efficiencies in your community are based around the fact that you can use them in both roles. When you have one group uh, that, that's pulling them in a, a different direction that we don't have full control over anymore, it, it erodes that integrated model and, and you don't get full efficiency uh, out of them because now you've got this sort of other resource or other group that's, that's pulling them out of your system, using them in other communities, whether it's a standby. Uh, if they're doing calls in other communities, that, that's a different piece. We're, we're here to, again to protect all Albertans and when we have to, but if we're doing standbys and, and other pieces like that are uh, being locked up in, a, in, say, another municipality for long periods of time, those are lost resources in our community. Because again, we've built these systems based on this sort of this two-hat model. Um, you know, and, and again, that, that's the key. The key element here is, is we've done this to make it such an efficient system that when you pull one component out, you lose your efficiencies. Yeah, I and, and financially and, and resource wise, so. I can't I can't help it. And, and I hope this isn't too abstract of a thought. But I but I think that our audience is, is going to understand where I'm getting with this. You know, you talk about, you know, for example, the government that's making this decision is a conservative government, at least in name. Um, and, you know, you talk about the perspective of most small C conservatives and how they feel about what what the role that government should have. And it and and, and an ardent conservative would argue that that government should have as small or as minimal a role as possible. The government should stay out of the management of industry or, the, or stay out of the way of business or, and in this circumstance, I mean, I, I, I want our audience. I keep saying this because it's important. We have three fire chiefs from across the province speaking in solidarity on a round table. This is not typically the type of thing that happens. Uh, this is a remarkable circumstance. What we're seeing here today with the three of you here and bigger picture, the outcry from from mayors and chiefs. I mean, typically chiefs and mayors, you know, you butt heads, don't you? Come budget time, you got you guys want more money. They're trying to save money. They know they're not going to get voted in again if the property taxes go too high. Typically, fire chiefs and mayors are going like this right now. Everybody's standing hand in hand, metaphorically speaking. 
in solidarity. This is a remarkable situation. So Chief McMullen, I mean, in Red Deer, you know, I, I had a, an individual on the inside of government contact me in confidence. I would not betray their trust. But they said, hey, you're doing great work. They said everybody's noticing that you're talking to the mayors. They knew that you guys were coming on today. They said everybody's noticing. They said, but hate to tell you, this has been a long time coming and it's not being walked back. So everybody's going to have to learn to deal with it. What does that say to you? Well, you know, I'll repeat a couple of things, Ryan, if I could. And, and it's that point about solidarity. Uh, we, we do. Uh, the, the chiefs very often uh, are, are on very similar um, thoughts as far as progressing this service across Canada and, and Alberta. What was really unique in this in this entire uh, event was the alignment between mayors of four municipalities and the chiefs of those municipalities working together. To your, to your question, I think that part of the challenge was, and what we really have all tried to do, was make this a public issue. We wanted our public to be aware of the impacts that it had to them. And, and as, as hard as we have tried and as much as we have all done, and the mayors have been on your show and now we're on your show, to show the real life impact, to me, I don't believe that the average citizen realizes that there is a change. Um, they still are calling 911 and, and uh, they are still going to get an ambulance. It's all of the behind the scenes that have changed. It is that is it's the effectiveness that is changing that may not be uh, realized in a day or a week from now, but it will be realized. There is no doubt, uh, as other municipalities have done in the past, they've now gone back and they're looking at ways to get back into the business of uh, uh, dispatching ambulances locally from a regional approach. And I and I do believe that our communities will be back there at some point. How do how do the three of you feel? Let me, uh, Chief Butts. I'll put this in front of you, and then we can ask the other chiefs w- with regards to the. You know, I mean, I think the, these are the types of things where we don't think about. We don't oftentimes think about the fire department until we need them, right? When our kids, when our kids excitedly point out that here comes a ladder truck, we pay attention. Or, or you know, when 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 our carbon monoxide detector goes off, and all of a sudden, I'm speaking obviously from firsthand experience here. Uh, and, and a pump has to show up at your house, and all the neighbors are looking. Um, but th- that's when we think about the fire department. But we don't always think about it. But, you know, our cities are growing, uh, including the three cities here that, that we're talking about. We know that there are, there are response times, call times that need to be paid attention to. We know that there are infrastructure needs. Uh, we know that as, as, as cities sprawl and grow, that emergency coverage needs to match. We also know that it's a tough economic time right now and different levels of government are, are dialing back on spending. Generally speaking, uh, Chief Butts, we'll start with you. How well supported our emergency services, specifically fire rescue in your neck of the woods. What, what do you wish that Albertans were more aware of? I mean, you've got their ear, you've got their eyes this morning. Oh, well, you know what? That's a really good question. And thanks for asking it. Um, we take a, we take a lot of pride in, in, our, in the emergency services. And I can, I think I'm pretty confident to say that we can say that across the province. Um, you're, you're exactly right. Not every day and not everyone calls 911. And However, there's that perception, though, that when you call someone, um, that you're you're calling for a reason and you need help, and that's that's our job to provide that service to you the best way that we know how, and that's what we're talking about today, is that service is going to be degraded, um, and we have evidence, you know, statistical evidence that would say that. I, I think um, you, you, from a from a support piece, I can't I can't be more you know our mayor, our local government, our mayor and council, our you know our, our CAO administration, um, 
they, they support us 100%. Um, I think uh, if we don't remember five years ago, uh, our, our community, our region went through one of the largest natural disasters in Canadian history. Um, and we're still here today and we couldn't, we couldn't have done that without their support. But let me expand that a little bit larger. Uh, when, when you say support from an, for an emergency services, let's just understand that um, this government has dissolved the fire commissioner's office. There's no longer a fire commissioner's office that that steady, uh, that standard that the uh, the fire industry in Alberta can can call upon. And when I say that, um, we're fortunate. We have resources. We have larger centers. Uh, us three here speaking to you today. But when you look across Alberta, there's the smaller rural Albertans out there that those those uh, those 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 communities are being supported by volunteers, and those volunteers are just trying to do be a be a good neighbor trying to do whatever they can for the community. And yet there, you know, there's a, you bring up a good point. There's a silent tragedy that's happening across Alberta in the fire industry. We're deeply concerned that the, um, you know, the, the, I, I, there's, there's no fire commissioner's office. Um, Chief, what would have been the justification or the reason? I'm not, I'm not asking you to answer for government, but as best you can understand, uh, for us laypersons that, that don't hang out in fire halls, don't get the scuttlebutt, why would you dissolve the fire commissioner's office? I, I, I was never, that, that, was a, that was a shock to all of us, but I know Ken, you're, maybe I'll defer to you, Ken, to answer that. Yeah, and, and again, uh, we're, we're uh, going out on a bit of a limb here in regards to a, a bit of an assumption. Uh, the, the government will argue that the fire commissioner's office exists. Uh, they will argue that there is a position uh, that has been appointed as the title of fire commissioner. I think what uh, Chief Butts is referring to is the role and responsibilities that the fire commissioner's office ran for those rural municipalities in this province uh, that needed support in fire inspections, fire investigations. But in addition to that support, uh, we often relied on the fire commissioner's office to help advocate for a variety of different fronts and this would have been one of those fronts that the fire commissioner's office in years past five years prior uh, would have advocated on our behalf and stood beside us uh, when it came to uh, big major changes like the one that we've faced in the last uh, 48 hours uh, chief down, down in lethbridge have you felt i mean with regards to the fire commissioner's office this might be another thing where the average the average citizen wouldn't even notice unless the three of you are here this is another reason why i'm grateful you're all here to put these things on our radar, but but with regards to, to, to the impact that that may have had in, in Lethbridge, has it had any, or how do you perceive the reasoning behind that decision? Again, uh, it, the impact for our community probably isn't as great, um, but as Chief Butts has mentioned, for our, our rural counterparts and our volunteer groups uh, in, in neighboring adjacent communities around us, those folks are gonna be feeling that impact uh, to a higher degree. Uh, I wanted to get back just to your initial question that we were talking about. Our, our council and our mayor have been extremely supportive of our uh, fire service, our fire EMS service, and, and specifically proud of our integration piece with that. And, and the other component with that is they made this decision to be integrated a long time ago, a uh, hundred years ago. Even our medical first response piece, when, when we were talking with them about that and we first brought advanced life support, our, our paramedics back in the day, into our system, they, they had the foresight to actually put that onto our fire trucks. They, they didn't wait for uh, some government mandate or anybody else to tell them that. They recognized the benefits to the communities and they pushed it that direction. 
and all and all the other communities that, that have done this, we do it because it's the right thing to do to take care of our communities. And then folks through like the, the fire commissioner's office can help us advocate for that for across the province to try to help support all the other services that maybe don't have the, the, the voice uh, to get those resources to do that job. And so when we talk about that fire commissioner's office, we, we talk about it as an advocacy for the fire service and, and a, sort of that support for all the communities that don't have it. But, but for myself here in Lethbridge, we have great support from our mayor and council and, and as we go forward with this. And, and again, at that provincial level, we desperately need the, that strong voice from that fire commissioner's office. But it, it, when we don't have it, that's where you see us banding together. But where we have to be strong as a, a, a group of integrated chiefs uh, or, or fire chiefs across the entire province and councils across the, the province to go, hey, we need the support here. We, we need to be recognized for the efficiencies and the effectiveness that we're bringing into our communities. And, uh, and, and I think you're right. Sometimes maybe the government piece does get in the way of that uh, at higher levels when they're not looking at uh, how it impacts all the other smaller communities. It's not not one size fits all in this world. It just doesn't. Ryan, you have to accept that. Yeah, Ryan, it's Ken. Can I just chime back in here? Of course, you can. You know what? I I would absolutely be remiss if I didn't. You know, you asked the original question about about council support, and I know my colleagues have both spoken to it. I I need to repeat and, and echo what they're saying. Uh, you know, you talked earlier about that. Uh, that never-ending uh, inevitable tension between chiefs and and councils when it comes to budgets and and, and that does happen we're all we're all going to admit that that happens uh, uh, just as a result of uh, difference of priorities but I, I have to assure you that uh, in this particular community and I'll speak to the others as well there was a unanimity uh, the, everybody 100% agreed on um, this as being an issue it was agreed upon in council meetings that they would advocate for uh, the, the, the retaining of dispatch. Our mayor, Mayor Terravere in our community absolutely led the charge on this and, and has, has worn this every day. Uh, she has spent time in our stations. She has spent time in our dispatch center, uh, speaking face-to-face -face with, our, with our staff, uh, letting them know how near and dear this is to her heart. Um, uh, so again, I think that when it comes to council support, this is one very unique piece. Yes, you have three chiefs here, but what you've seen in the last nine months is not only four mayors working together, but collectively in our communities, this has been the topic that not one person in any of our communities has opposed going forward. Uh, I, I want to read what some of our viewers are saying live uh, watching this conversation. Uh, Michelle, first of all, says, I understand this issue so much better now. Thank you so much to the Chiefs for doing this. Uh, you know, uh, this is a lot of people are chiming in from rural Alberta, from from their acreages and ranches and farms. And, and these are the people I think that probably are when I mean, a lot of people are concerned. These are the people that are most concerned uh, where, where a time difference may not. You know, I talk about the difference between between four minutes and seven minutes. Uh, for these folks, it may be the difference between 12 minutes and, and an hour and a half, right? Uh, if an ambulance or a fire truck gets sent in the wrong direction. Uh, Shogd, Shogd is listening in and says, you know, response times have gone up because the province hasn't added any new ambulances uh, in a while. It's not a dispatching issue. Uh, is that accurate? Is that true? Any of you chiefs want to take that? So you know, I, I don't mind. Lethbridge, we, we made a request for another unit to come into our system to support our integrated group. And, and 
that just doesn't happen. They, they, again, in their modeling, they don't see that as a, a, a pressure for them. And in prior, when we ran our own service, we, we had our own benchmarks and, and triggers that would support us in, in adding those additional EMS resources. Uh, at, at this time, we're not given any information as to when those benchmarks are reached for us uh, to, to add additional EMS resources. And I'll, I'll just add to that if I could. Uh, yes, the, the ambulance is, is, is an issue, uh, but I'm here to tell you, I don't believe it's the biggest issue. I think that hospital wait times is a bigger issue, uh, particularly in our communities where our wait times in hospitals are uh, extremely uh, prolonged. The other piece that we were all involved in is something called inter-facility transfers. That means that our ambulances and our staff are tied up taking patients from Lethbridge or Red Deer or, or the MD of Wood Buffalo into Calgary's and Edmonton's. And then our resources are tied up in those communities um, for, for hours and hours at a time. We do hundreds of transfers. If you recall, uh, Ryan, the, the mayors may have talked about the Ernst & Young report uh, that AHS is, is reflecting on when it talked about some of the decisions that they're making. And there's really only three points that had anything to do with ground ambulance or AHS uh, for that matter. One of the recommendations was to look at an improved interfacility transfer program. And we are still going to advocate for that to happen. We believe that, that if that one piece of the uh, puzzle is addressed in a different fashion than it is, is today, Yes, the ambulance shortfalls in our province will still be there, but I don't believe it'll be wearing the same weight that it wears today. Can I just fr- from a from a civilian standpoint, am I understanding this correctly that there's uh, like six ambulances in Lethbridge, there's five ambulances in Red Deer. We're talking about population centers of uh, yeah, four ambulances in in so, and we're talking about population centers of approximately approximately a hundred thousand people or more. I mean, you talk about Red Deer. I lived there for two years. You might as well say it's for three hundred and fifty thousand people because folks in Sylvan Lake and Eckville and, and 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 as far away as Rocky and and all these other communities are also impacted here. Never mind the pressures on the Red Deer Regional Hospital. That's another conversation entirely. Uh, but do, am I? understanding correctly that we're talking about a patient transfer so so a city like lethbridge or red deer will have five ambulances and one of those ambulances in other words 20 percent of the total fleet can be on the road to calgary doing a patient transport uh i mean if there's an explosion or heaven forbid something happens and you need all hands on deck 20 percent of your fleet would be driving somebody to calgary could be could be two hours away out of the city is that is is that what we are to understand here actually in lethbridge if for that example uh, typically, we have two ambulances uh, on transfers, uh, and typically they're gone to Calgary. And those Calgary transfers are a minimum of seven hours. So Again, two out of six yeah. ambulances, Chief? That's correct. Uh, uh, we're, uh, we're not far behind it. We'd be about the same on a, on a daily basis. Uh, yeah. One for sure and up to two uh, on many days. So these these code reds that we hear about where there's a it doesn't always get made public. In fact, it rarely gets made public because the public would would panic a code red, which essentially my understanding means that there is no ambulance available for dispatch. Correct. How frequently does that happen? Let, let me ask you across the board. How frequently does it happen in Lethbridge? Daily. Daily. Uh, how about in Fort McMurray? How about in Fort McMurray? Yeah, uh, uh, tw- twice a week, Ryan. But if if I can just, you're, you're getting it. You're you're asking the right questions, and I wish more other people would ask them. The the code red is that's exactly it. So we're gonna we're gonna in transition here. Unless we do some background of our own work, AHS's suggestion is we would go dark, so we lose the ability to track those resources. Now, I, again, I. I 
you're you're get you're getting the right question here, uh, Ryan. In the fact that holy four ambulances for the regional municipality would Buffalo, but that's where we lean on our integrated model, and it, that's where the efficiency comes both financially and operationally. So we don't need ten ambulances. We can lean on on our integrated model, our duly trained staff to to support that. Let me give you some reality here. Uh, in in and here's our uniqueness in in Wood Buffalo. We uh, a typical response for us um, is is as you know to our southern part of our region is an hour and a half. And I use this analogy. It's like Ryan. It's like uh, dispatching an ambulance from Edmonton to Red Deer for an emergency. Uh, medical call and then transporting back to Edmonton. That's our scenario here in Wood Buffalo. So uh, the the it's it's not a, it, it's more about um, 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 time on task for those ambulances. That's about a that's for one call is five hours, and that's a in 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 order to you know so the the code reds that happens to us at least a minimum of twice a week. But what do we do? when we don't have another ambulance through like the next ambulance is three hours away for us. What do we do? We look internally of our integrated model. We, uh, we, we take a, we take members off of the fire truck and we put them on an ambulance and they take that next call. And then when that call's done and we ambulances get back, we kind of, we get back to normal again. That's the benefit of that integrated model. But this and is what you're saying. Is, this is what's on the chopping block chief, but so we're understanding correctly. Have, Absolutely. This yeah. is AHS has got this siloed approach where their uh, EMS is going to do their thing, and we're uh, yeah, it, it, it's absolutely a siloed. So, approach. so just so Albertans, just so Albertans understand, this is this is purported to save the province seven million dollars. The change is seven million dollars. So, in other words, three months worth of Jason Kenney's secret war room. Three months worth of the secret war room is what they say they're going to save in a year. I can tell none of the fire chiefs want to comment on that. Chief McMullen, let me ask you, how frequently or how often does Red Deer declare as Red Deer in a state of a code red with no available ambulances? Yeah, you're not going to be shocked. It's similar to the rest. Uh, it's a matter of uh, uh, weekly occurrences when we're relying on uh, ambulances from outside of our region to come in and, and deliver those calls. Right. I need to go back uh, because you just pinned me on on a, on a point that I'll uh, uh, try to get um, not overly emotional on. But the fact of the matter is, you talked about the savings uh, that uh, the government projected through the Ernst and Young report. This five to six million. We, we continue to, to talk about what does that mean? Because in, in fact, we don't believe that it's gonna save anything. We believe that there's gonna be more cost. However, here's what, here's what your listeners need to know. In spite of all of that, the mayors and councils of the three municipalities represented here today, Lethbridge, Wood Buffalo, and the city of Red Deer, we have made the offer to this government to cover that cost entirely. Therefore, the cost savings would be made they can check that box off that says that yes, we've saved the five to six million and our services can remain delivering it in the fashion that we're doing it today. Uh, they, the mayors held a press conference uh, this past Monday and uh, they made point that, that that offer for us to deliver the services free of cost has not been answered. And I think that, that that's a shame uh, that, that we still have not heard back. Um, it, I wouldn't say it's too late other than the fact that literally the equipment that we utilized in our center to dispatch ambulances have left. The hardware has left as of yesterday. Um, but for our partners uh, in Wood Buffalo and Calgary, that uh, the, the opportunity for your listeners and members of Alberta to make their point to their local MLAs and to this government, has, it's not over. 
Uh, and I would suggest that if, if they were successful in those communities, I would drive down to Calgary myself and pick up the hard drive and bring it back. Les makes a good point here. Les is watching this morning. He says, you know, rural fire insurance is facing increases across the board because dispatch doesn't know the area. Uh, so Albertans that are now already paying more for their car insurance under this government may see that their their home insurance, their fire insurance is going to rise as well. Ken says it's interesting. The province is advocating for an Alberta police force uh, because the folks are local. But with EMS, the position is let's spread out the responsibility to people who aren't as familiar with the area. That's a great point. Um, another says, you know, there's there, there so many issues here. They say that when it when it comes to living in rural communities, you know, Sean says there was a time when government tried to create jobs in rural communities. A dispatch center in a small town was a huge boon to the local economy where jobs of that type would not exist. Michelle, uh, Michelle Narang is listening, and I should say her full name, full name because she's a counselor uh, in the community of Rocky Mountain House, beautiful West Country. Uh, counselor Narang says it's absolutely frustrating trying to provide a rural location to dispatch who don't know the area even a little bit. You can't say it's five minutes from the Johnson's farm, can you, to somebody that has no idea what they're talking about uh, or no idea at least what the lay of the land looks like. We've heard stories. Yeah, go ahead, Chief. Just on, on, the, on that point, uh, the, the three of us sat in, uh, in, in Minister Shandro's office and gave a presentation alongside the, the, the mayors of those uh, count, uh, for those municipalities. The examples that you're talking about, the geographical awareness, the ability to know Mrs. Smith's barn, uh, the the ability to know what it, what a certain park in your community is, is paramount. Uh, we shared those examples. So what your listeners are, are, are referring to, we absolutely hear, we agree 100%. And uh, again, let's encourage you to make that voice known, not only to your uh, listening audience, but let's make that known to the MLAs uh, and the elected officials. Yeah, Joel's watching. Joel says, when it comes to emergency response, local knowledge of what's required is key to efficient assistance. This seems like a power grab more than the government trying to create efficiencies. Uh, you know, we, we heard stories. I've, I, I had a, a, a person send us an email a couple of days ago that when they heard that the three of you were going to be joining us today and they told a story, it's anecdotal, but a story of a friend of theirs that's a 911 dispatcher. And they say that he used to in his spare time, whether he still does or not, I don't know whether he still has his job or not. I don't know. But they say in his spare time, he used to drive around the community, the rural community. He used to drive around in his spare time to familiarize himself with the lay of the land, talking about the commitment that that individual brought to the job. Um, I want to give each of you a chance to sort of give us something to think about as we wrap up our interview. I'm so grateful that the three of you cleared an hour in your schedules to talk to us. Um, why don't we start with you, Chief Rathwell, uh, out, of, out of Lethbridge. Give us something to think. I mean, we haven't even talked about Arches closing, the supervised consumption service in Lethbridge. We haven't even talked about the stresses that that first line, front line and, and first responders have faced as a result of COVID. We haven't even talked about Alberta's opioid crisis. I mean, maybe that's on me as an interviewer, but we've just had so much ground to cover. Uh, Chief Rathwell, give us something to think about as we walk through our day today. Like we need another crisis? Like, come on. Yeah. Uh, we've, yeah. Had, we've had our, our share, but they continue. We we here in Lethbridge, we deal with the opioid crisis daily. We've, we've got the COVID crisis. We've got this economic crisis where, again, they just go on and on and on right now, right? It, it's never ending. But what it really, if I can get people to understand anything, it's the value, the efficiencies, and the effectiveness of having an integrated service. The, the value plus that we bring a community with those types of pieces it is, is out of this world. We, we hear those anecdotal stories all the time about having that effective 
combination of, of the dual-hatted uh, firefighter paramedic, uh, to be able to hold on to that, to maintain that, um, it, it's, getting, it's getting more difficult and people need to sort of understand that uh, it, to a much greater uh, depth than what they used to because I, I believe that's being threatened uh, it, to its core and the values that we've been able to bring with that. So if, if out of anything comes out of this, I hope people truly start understanding what's going on in their community and, and the value that uh, these integrated services, when they're, when they're working together and all the pieces are there, how efficient it is and, and both financially and, and efficiency for our, our uh, community, the safety piece. It, it's unbelievable. I, I strongly, if you haven't figured it out, we, we strongly believe in the integrated service. It's, it, it makes sense. What what do they call you guys? What's what's the what do they say? Like on a, on a call when or in the hall when Chief shows up? What do they call you guys? Like the bars or something? Don't they say the bars are in the the bars showed up? So what do they call you guys, Chief Butts? What do they say? Well, hopefully it's the chief and not something else. <laughs> um, uh, no, I, yeah, a fire chief out of the you know the paramilitary uh, piece there. But if if I get if I can take the opportunity, uh, Ryan, to answer your question. Um, uh, Here's here's a statement that, that that resonates with me. On if I was to look forward, to, uh, you know, a week from now, of our transition, a month, a year, and two years from now, uh, I can see uh, this region uh, certainly would Buffalo, and we'll be out of the EMS business, but still doing EMS. And I'll, I'll resonate that with you because uh, sh- short of AHS is not pr- communicating a plan on how they can, um, I guess, how they can absorb some of the, uh, you know, the increased call volume, um, they're going to call upon the fire service. And and to speak back to a little bit of the conversation uh, prior is rural Alberta. I, my roots are in rural Alberta. Um, I come from, a vol- I started out in a volunteer and here I am the full time, but I started in the rural Alberta. So my deep concern there, and we have six rural communities in the Wood Buffalo region. It's much more than just Fort McMurray. And Alberta Health Services answer to their gap in service or their gap in response times is the medical, what they call the medical first response program. So we are, we have been a medical first responder because that's that siloed approach. Um, But I I, I want everybody to be very clear on uh, that's their answer to their gap in service. So we have an hour and a half to respond in ambulance We've asked that question. We need to put an ambulance there. Here's the call volume. No, we'll just, here's medical first response. Obviously, the Wood Buffalo region entails the, the oil sands. Um, and the answer to that, oil sands has played a, a, a considerable role in delivering EMS services in our region. There's a, you know, there's there's a, thousands of workers uh, that come and go in and out of the region um, that our oil sands partners, uh, mutual aid partners, do, do take care of for us. But... Um, that was through the mutual aid agreement. That with AHS coming into that, that changes that whole game. And their answer to that is the is the medical first response program. Okay, understand this: that the medical first response uh, program is not an is not a health service. It's not an AHS program. That's that's a municipal affairs program. So Alberta Health Services downloads their gap in service. To the local level, and that lo- and fire services under the municipal affairs, it's uh, there's some real disconnect. So in order for us to share that, um, that that's it, it, it goes on deaf ears. Certainly has seems to be going deaf ears. So our industry partners, 
um, a meeting with them this afternoon, and because the, to let them know, but they're I'm, I'm they're 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 wrapping up this medical first response program, and our First Nations groups, um, they. I don't know the answers because I don't know the I just don't know the answers, Ryan. So we're going to have to be on alert. And I've told our staff uh, we've set out in our transition to plan and be. Uh, you know, we need to. Our number one goal is all three of us is the safety and and our citizens. But positive, we're going to do whatever we can in this transition, recognizing and we've communicated all the gaps, but positive patient outcomes and the safety of our members, because. We lose the ability to track our ambulances and our people. They could be an hour and a half away. We need to know their well-being here's so we've got i just want to paint a a, a pic i I just want to uh, just a a quick perspective check here and and these three chiefs have to get back to you know running fire departments in three of alberta's most populated uh centers uh so we'll let you go in a second but just to paint a perspective at a time where for the most part everything's chill right now i don't know specific someone in fort mcmurray is probably having the worst day of their life right now that's just the way it goes but but for the most part today's a, a chill day as best we know And here's the fire chief in Fort McMurray Wood, Buffalo, sounding the alarm saying we may lose track of our ambulances. We may have communications problems. Can you imagine? I mean, when you talk about your industry partners in Syncrude and Suncor, and I'm picturing their their industrial fire trucks, whatever you call them, those industrial trucks that were roaring from oil sand sites into the city, into Fort McMurray, as everybody was fleeing uh, during that wildfire and and the firefighters that were coming in off shift and, and firefighters that were coming in from, from Calgary and Lethbridge and Red Deer and Sylvan Lake and Edmonton and Cold Lake and everywhere else. All these fire trucks that were hitting the QE2 and hitting the Highway 63 and hitting all these, they were, they were on their way to Fort McMurray. And then those that were on the those that were, that, that were sitting there, probably with a pretty good idea that about twenty three hundred structures were going to burn, probably with a pretty good idea that the fire that your predecessor called the beast uh, was going to knock this city down, but not knock it out. And then I imagine now what that might have sounded like over these radio waves with a non-local, uninformed flying through the clouds dispatch and i think that the the disaster that was averted in other words for the most part no fatalities could have been a very different scenario and i don't think that this is 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 hyperbole i don't think that this is sensationalism Uh, chief butts tell me if you think i'm off on this how different could the response to that wildfire have been with non-local 911 dispatch bang on ryan uh in, in in our scenario um, man, that brings back some emotion. That's good. Uh, in our scenario, uh, you, you know, what you described there, let me start with, that's the Alberta that I want to be a part of. Yeah. And that's what it can be, right? But we're forced down this road that, um, that we're all not very comfortable with. I, I, guess, I guess I can say that uh, it, it, uh, I can't say enough and, and thank you to all of our help to all of the, the industry across the, across the province. And that's the solidarity that you see here with us today. And, and, and again, to our, to our, to our mutual aid partners, um, they, they didn't ask, they didn't, you know, the, I'll tell you, they did that out of, because of their, they want to be, they're a part of our region and they and they want to be good neighbors and good corporate citizens for all the right reasons. But now we have to, uh, we have to silo our EMS services aside and we have to i guess we have to answer to someone else here um which is fine but it's really frustrating when they don't listen to us not listening 
with, with what we know as local solutions. You know, here's another, I don't want to belabor it, I know we got to go, but STARS does not operate in our Wood Buffalo region. We don't, so what So what have we done? We've, we've uh, a long-standing relationship, a local solution uh, where we've, we've gotten an arrangement and agreement with, with our, uh, with, with an aeronautical company here to provide rotary wing helicopter or medevac services. We've evolved that. It's supported uh, locally, funding-wise. We, they, they, uh, they have a helicopter they put the, the pilots on, but it's our medical staff that jump on it. So we don't, so again, another the, uh, efficient way to delivering rotary wing helicopter services. But I wanted to be clear that in, uh, STARS isn't the one that provides that service up here. It's our local solution that has done that. And this and this uh, change for Alberta, we've had two criteria to launch that rotary wing helicopter. There's one with the, that we chime into the STARS and the provincial model. The other one is a local uh, launch criteria. Um, we're almost positive that that local uh, uh, criteria will go away. And that, um, when I look at the stats, it's about 60% of the time. Uh, Chief McMullen, we'll, we'll give you a last word on this and to, to sort of return to the to the question here that I put in front of your two colleagues. Something to walk with, something to think about today. One final thought, maybe something we haven't covered. You bet. I think uh, you covered it, but just high level. And that, that is our mental health of our first responders. Uh, it, it is wearing uh, very thin on all of our first responders. And I mean, that's all uniform uh, in our communities. Uh, you know what, uh, Ryan, we, we have to say thank you. We have to take pause and say thank you to all of our dispatchers that have been in this uh, battle with us the entire time. There was no doubt tears shed in our dispatch centers uh, on Monday when they said goodbye to that service that we've been delivering in our community since 1962. I know you're listening, uh, whether you're in this community or others, thank you for what you do every day. You are the first of the first responders uh, that, that get to take that call and do what you do every single day with so much pride. So thank you for that. Uh, Ryan, my, my last thought as I asked your, your viewers uh, more than once today is to, to be heard. Um, it's one of those times where your voice matters. And I do it, it really encourage you, uh, if you've never done it before, today, let it be the day that you write a letter to your local MLA or to the Minister of Health or to our Premier in this province. Uh, it's not over entirely in all communities. Uh, and uh, like I said, we would gladly take it back here in our community. It's been a pleasure to be on your show. It's been a pleasure to walk hand in hand with these two colleagues that I've worked with for the last nine months. Uh, Jody, I was with you uh, in Fort McMurray. I remember the emotions that we met uh, that particular day. Uh, it, was, it brought back some memories for me as well. So, uh, Ryan, thank you uh, for having us. Hang on a second, though, guys. I want to, a couple things that are important to mention. Jordy is listening in, and Jordy said, Jasper, you were looking for for slang when it comes to Chiefs, because I wanted to say we've got like three bars hanging. You know, they, they call you guys the bars. Your shoulder, you're identifiable. You got the different colored helmet. You got all that. Uh, Jordy says we call it chaos. Chaos. Chief has arrived on scene. That's when, that's when there's chaos. Chief has arrived on scene. And also, uh, if I know anything about how fire halls work, I understand how celebrity taxes work. And I would be remiss if I didn't. Met you. McMullen knows what's coming right now. Kenny knows what's coming down the pike. I uh, got to congratulate you, Ken. Uh, Canadian Association of Fire Chiefs recognizing you as the 2020 Career Fire Chief of the Year. Uh, so congratulations on that. You deserve the recognition. And, and if I understand how that works, now that we've pointed it out publicly, I think you owe these other two boys lunch, don't you? 
Hey, thank you for bringing it up, and I would gladly uh, buy these gentlemen lunch any day. Ryan, I'll buy you lunch, too. Okay, I'm in. Uh, hey, fellas, thanks for this. Honestly, uh, to, for you to give us an hour is amazing, and the audience is very appreciative of it as well as we continue to keep issues that matter right on the forefront of people's attention and focus. So thanks for this, Chiefs. It's much appreciated. Thanks very much, Ryan. Thank you so much. You got it. That's uh, Fire Chief uh, Ken McMullen out of the city of Red Deer. That's Chief Mark Rathfeld out of the city of Lethbridge. And that's Chief Jody Butts out of the uh, city of uh, Fort McMurray, Wood Buffalo, Regional Municipality of Wood Buffalo. Three chiefs there with us. Uh, absolutely remarkable. Uh, we're going to get to your comments on this. We're going to leave some breathing room. We're going to be talking about teachers' pensions in just a second. Plus, we're going to talk some hockey. Uh, we haven't even talked about Pat Rain being booted out of the conservative caucus, out of the UCP caucus. You know what I'm going to do, Sam, is I'm going to use our newscast, you know, our, our 10, 13 a.m. newscast. I'm going, to use, I'm going to use that to talk about Pat Rain. But first, let's thank a couple of our sponsors, uh, including the team at uh, Kubi Energy. We're thrilled to have rolled out uh, positive reflections on Monday. We're going to do it every Monday. If you've got a case of the Mondays, positive reflections is going to put a smile on your face and renew your faith, your optimism in society. Now, Kubi Energy in the solar installation game, residential, commercial, Here's the deal. They're Tesla certified. All of their installers are certified electricians. So, you know, your, your house isn't going to start on fire like three days later because Uncle Larry put up the solar panels and hooked them up to old car batteries. You don't want that. You want Kubi Energy handling it. Plus, with all the rebates like that four grand the city of Edmonton will get you, if you install solar in your house, your business, they handle the permits. Kubi Energy handles it all. What a breath of fresh air that would be hey what's that your mic's live sammy uh we got clean air club as well supporting us here cleanairclub.ca if you want to breathe easier the first place to start says clean air club is by changing your furnace filters and they keep you on track we know there's so much going on your life your to-do list if it looks like mine oh my gosh cleanairclub.ca keeps you organized keeps you focused saves you money and helps your family breathe easier Plus, the team at Friesen Brothers, so excited. They've told me it's okay if I tell you that we are under the 60-day countdown to the opening of their new South Edmonton location, the Rabbit Hill location. It's going to transform the grocery game in Alberta's capital region. 14 other stores across Alberta, and they are all about Alberta. Beef, pork, chicken, turkey, produce, Alberta milled flour in their sourdough. Friesen Brothers is Alberta grown and Alberta owned. Let's take a look at what's making headlines today. We're going to keep the newscast uh, quick today. Uh, and thanks for your patience. We're about 72 minutes late on the 9 a.m. news, but we got a lot going on. Here's what I'm going to tell you about what's going on in the news today because everything else, we're covering it. Coal, fire, teachers' pensions, and we're going to talk a little hockey to wrap up the show today. I'm excited about that. But the Premier of Alberta, just a couple of hours ago, tweeting the most important job of an MLA is to represent their constituents. He says, I've made the decision to remove Pat Rain from the UCP caucus effective immediately. MLA Rain will sit as an independent MLA. He will not be permitted to run for a future UCP nomination. Premier released a statement basically says it's become clear that lesser slave MLA Pat Rain has, has failed to represent his constituents. He made no meaningful effort to work in his constituency or properly represent the people. Get this, the premier. When's the last time you heard a premier speak like this? I have repeatedly asked him to be more present. He has ignored calls from me. He's ignored calls from the UCP leadership and he's ignored calls from his constituents. Yeesh. 
says Alberta government ministers and I, says Jason Kenney, will be meeting with lesser slave late constituents in the weeks to come to ensure they have direct access to their government to help them address important local issues. What was the talk show that first talked about? I'm trying to remember. Who was the talk show that first talked about this? Oh, right. Yeah, you know who it was. Pat Rain's been living and working in Texas. He's been nowhere to be found. We had the mayor and the deputy mayor of Lesser Slave Lake calling for his resignation exclusively on this show. This is a gong show. So in Lesser Slave Lake, they may be saying, well, great. Finally. Great. Perfect. Not perfect. Number one, he was parachuted in by the party that just booted him. He's not from there. He's got a house in Red Deer and he works in Texas. He's not from Lesser Slave Lake. He rents out a basement suite that he doesn't stay in. So the government, the United Conservative Party dropped him into that riding and now they've booted him. So where does that leave you if you live in Lesser Slave Lake? The guy that didn't give a shit when he was in government, now sitting as an independent is going to care, especially because he can't run again. (laughs) Like Lesser Slave Lake, if I'm you, I demand a resignation and I demand a by-election. If I'm you, where's your representation? Independent MLA that didn't care in the first place? Yay, yay, yay. All right. I want to get to this email before I welcome our next guest. We've been hearing from so many of you. I know that, let me just acknowledge, you're going to, Sam, can we take camera four for a second? I know people are going to look at my workstation and, and Sam and I have done, I think, a pretty good job of tidying up around here, but you are going to see like, I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to try to hide it. There's, there's stacks of papers. This, these are emails that of, of the good ones, of the really good ones that have nothing to do with coal, emergency response, or teacher's pension. So these are other emails that have to do with like vaccinating prisoners and calling for excellence in politics and all those types of things. Here's the teacher emails. Here's the coal emails. And I'm trying to do justice to all of these messages. You're going to say, Ryan, you know, there's tablets these days and iPads and you probably don't have to to kill so many trees here. I can't keep trying. I have so many windows on my laptop that I'm going to crash the thing because so many of you are in touch with the show and I so appreciate it. It's true. Jespo's laptop is like a horror film to me. That makes me nervous. When you come over uh, from a distance, you'll come and you'll survey because I'll say, Sam, can you kind of help me troubleshoot this or we get something? And you look and you see the number of windows that I, and I can see, I give you anxiety, don't I? I don't know if it's anxiety. I just, uh, I I, kind of take a quick glance at it and be like, well, that's why your computer is so slow. (laughs) Like, it's it's very obvious. So I... Yeah, well, we've identified the problem. Now we need to figure out how to rectify. This is step number one. Print everything out old school because so I don't crash the digital. I'm going to side with you on this. I love printed emails. Like if you have to read something on it, if you have to to edit something, you need printed so you can scribble all over it. Plus, if it's a lousy take like the one that Lucas sent me last week, I can crunch it up. I can crumple it up. For sound purposes, that's called the Foley stage. And, uh, you know, film production folks will tell you all about that. Catherine is a retired teacher. As a matter of fact, she signs off as a, as a retired teacher and an Alberta taxpayer says uh, as a retired teacher, I was outraged when I found out that Jason Kenney's government took over all Alberta retired teachers fund pensions says in effect, they've confiscated. Let me let me be honest with you here. Let me be more accurate. What Catherine's done is she CC'd me on a letter to the finance minister. I love that you're doing this. Our friends, I love that you're doing this. You, you write Premier Jason Kenney or you write the finance minister, or the health minister, and you CC talk at RyanJesperson.com. And it's just this little, yeah, it's just this little, yeah, to let them know, hey, 
We're going to be talking about this, whether you're going to respond to me or not. We're talking about this, but I'm putting you on notice. And that's what Catherine's doing to the finance minister says you have confiscated the pension funds of nurses and teachers and police and other civil servants to top up dwindling government coffers needed as collateral for unsound investments what other plans does your government minister under your financial direction have to use up this fund was any of this part of your election platform wonders Catherine? she says albertans voted for the ucp in good faith trusting that long-standing alberta values like honesty and integrity and evidence-based decisions would be your basic rules of operation she says you know being a conservative fiscal responsibility was a given when it came to expectations she says it turns out we were wrong about these shared values writes Catherine, a retired teacher you minister taves as a cabinet minister are largely responsible for the epic failure of trust in all aspects of this government you and your elitist colleagues are systematically annihilating democratic democratic processes and placing your own personal agenda ahead of albertans you try to obfuscate your underhanded work with omnibus bills proclaimed into law on a friday night just before christmas well we noticed says Catherine. if you can't do a better job of governing consider stepping aside rather than destroying any more aspects of the alberta we call home that from Catherine, a retired alberta teacher thank you Greg Meeker is the principal at Coronation School here in Edmonton. Uh, Greg served for 12 years on the board of the Alberta Teachers Retirement Fund. In fact, for 10 of those 12 years, for a decade, he was board chair of the ATRF. The ATRF, for, for those of you that are casual news observers, you're going, why do I reckon? Why do I remember ATRF? It's because that's who's just had the control of these 18 billion dollars worth of assets pulled out from underneath them greg what first of all welcome to real talk second of all why don't you just take it from here you know thank you so much for having me on the show um uh, it's really i'm honored to be here as a matter of fact well i i'm incensed and i mean this goes all the way back to bill 22 last november uh a, a year ago when uh an omnibus bill was passed with very, very little debate that ordered the Alberta Teachers Retirement Fund to use AIMCO as an investment manager. And AIMCO, again, that's Alberta Investment Management Corporation. And that up until that point had managed the investments for, for some retirement funds in Alberta. But teachers, we have always managed our own $18 billion worth of investments. So over the course of the last year, ATRF and AIMCO have had to negotiate an investment management agreement. They have not been able to do, the, do so. So on December 23rd, the Minister of Finance, Travis Taves, ordered or issued a ministerial order that imposed an investment agreement upon ATRF and AIMCO. And that's a problem because AIMCO could not agree with ATRF on an agreement because AIMCO would not agree to some terms that would protect the ATRF role and responsibility in this situation. Essentially, there is one clause in the agreement that the Minister of Finance has imposed. There's one clause that allows AIMCO to ignore directions that it gets from ATRF on how to manage its investments. Greg, I there's there are the there's kind of the principle of the matter 
uh, and I can understand why people are, are pick, pissed off about the principle of this. And then there and then there's the actual sort of like forecasted issues. In other words, the specific reasons that someone like you that's been on the inside that steered the ship yeah. uh, from the inside has. Take us into the specifics. Well, uh, the specifics um, really relate to uh the Alberta Teachers Retirement Fund is a jointly sponsored fund. So it is run by a board that is a fiduciary, that is the trustee of the $18 billion that are collected and invested on behalf of teachers and, and that is paid out to them when they retire. That money is held in trust. The ATRF board is half appointed by the government and half appointed by teachers. Teachers contribute about 51% of the money that goes into the fund and the employers, the government of Alberta, uh, contributes the 49%. And they had a jointly managed board in place that managed the investments and ma managed the decision-making. And in reality, that's been taken away. That decision-making and that managing investments, they've been ordered to use AIMCO. Over all of my years on the board, the board always had the opportunity to use AIMCO as an investment manager, and they never did. And uh, in, in, in a sense of really, really, really bad timing, um, last spring, you undoubtedly saw the uh, Volts losses. AIMCO lost $2 billion on, a, on an investment, a series of investment transactions that went very, very bad at the beginning of the, tra uh, beginning of the, of the pandemic. And this is a thing we need to uh, ensure. We need to not make mistakes like that. We need to be a fiduciary and responsible for the money and responsible of how it's in, uh, for how it's invested. Greg, can you I, I keep seeing a message and I and I I'm going to admit I don't like I understand the point that people are making, yeah. but maybe I'm missing the full point. Why do people keep tweeting um, pension funds are deferred wages? They're, they're tweeting it like in all caps and, and screaming it from the rooftops as best they can. Uh, why is this a relevant observation? Have we, I think our guests might be frozen here. Hopefully it just takes a second. If this is like this is like me playing poker with my friends, we do Zoom calls and we go on poker stars and we play poker. And I like to do it from my garage. We call it the cabin. Sorry, that just ceased. That's okay, Greg. I'm, t I'm telling stories about smoking cigars and, and freezing up while I'm playing poker. Um, <laughs> I, I'm the guy that All always right. freezes up in conversation. Why is it so significant that teachers are, are proclaiming, screaming from the rooftops, these are our deferred wages? Well, because they are. This is money that should be held in trust for teachers to be paid out. This isn't general general government of Alberta money. It doesn't go into general uh, revenue. These are would be the equivalent of your RSPs. And this is the equivalent of somebody coming in and uh, saying, well, you can't have your RSPs with Bank of Montreal. You got to pick those up and you got to put them over here with ATB. I've got uh, an interesting. Um, I, I, so we're we're getting a ton of emails. You're not you're not going to be uh, surprised to hear that they're that they're uh, you know for the most part articulate. You know, and it's it's teachers and educators that we're talking about. So they they have a way of of uh, finding the words that they need uh, to make the effective points that they do. Uh, Erica has uh, cc'd us, which we appreciate on her letter to mm -hmm. to her yeah. MLA to MLA Horner uh, says that uh, I'm unsure that people believe you. Uh, in the context of what we're talking about here, because people don't have trust in the current government. I've long said that, you know, there are reasons for tough decisions and big changes, but they should be presented with honesty, transparency and, and open conversation. Signing a document, forcing something on teachers on December 23rd and then quietly releasing it days later is not being honest. 
uh, nor is getting on Facebook and gaslighting Albertans, you know, telling us that we should be thankful. We should be lucky that the government's going to going to backstop these or, or guarantee these. She says that's a gross statement. It's condescending. It's from- not true either. Just OK, so well, you, you, know. you jump in and answer that. It's and then I'll, OK, so-, so take it on. This comes out, right? This comes out on Facebook. Uh, this comes out. First of all, it was released by the ATRF, not the government of Alberta. You won't find this ministerial order anywhere on the Queen's Printer website. And then uh, that same evening, our, our premier got on Facebook Live and said, you ought to be lucky to have a pension, right? And he did not acknowledge at any point that teachers contribute the majority of the money that goes into that fund uh, deducted straight up from their paychecks. He also said that these pensions were guaranteed by the taxpayer. And I can guarantee you that that is not true, that you can read the Teachers Pension Plan Act. There's no guarantee, no guarantee on it at all. It's the investments that guarantee the pension. It's the money in the bank that guarantees it. There's no taxpayer guarantee on this. Uh, Erica goes on and says, uh, you know, I shouldn't have to worry about losing this relatively small amount, but it's significant to me, she says, when over the last 83 years, is it 83 years the ATRF's been directing this? Does that sound right? Since 1938. Since 1938. Okay. Over Uh, 100 years. Gee. Uh, Well, yeah, closing in on 100. She says, you've long known how I feel about this pension file. She's talking to her MLA. Obviously, she's been in touch with her MLA before uh, because she says, I'm so sad to have to send you another email. Erica is an engaged citizen. Uh, Clearly says, I'm trying. Says, I'm trying to understand the reasoning on this. But in the end, I feel like it's a way to grab at more money. Uh, pension here it is again pension is deferred wages how dare the premier say we're lucky the government's taking on this risk uh, atrf is not a dangerous or silly investment company where our money's at risk it's reputable consistent and solid uh teachers uh, trust them they care about teachers and we don't take undue risk as i've seen the government do this year probably talking about kxl says please don't even talk about the AIMCO oh, yeah. losses uh, erica says and this is in all caps says almost every single decision made by the government over the last while is tainted with secrecy, hiding, dishonesty, and an unwillingness to listen to the concerns of stakeholders. Hearing and listening, as I tell my students, are two different things. This will not stand. I am furious. That from Erica. Uh, Yeah, Ryan, you know, I hear stuff like that all the time. And uh, I, I get copied on a bunch of these too. And it's great. By all means, keep it coming. Uh, uh, copy Ryan here as well. I'm going to tell you, because it, it does go back right to the beginning uh, last November when they declared they brought in Bill 22, because the right way to do this is uh, they would have engaged a consultant to sit down and see if there was some value, something where AIMCO could provide some value to the teachers of Alberta and then make some decisions around that. Or by the same token, they could have had the legislation. The legislation could have said that Alberta Teachers Retirement Fund would use AIMCO where value exists so where they can can add where their where their investment capacity can add to what atrf has but that's nothing that happened here right it was a surprise to everybody as a surprise to the teachers of alberta that all of a sudden boom you have to use aimco and now this is only guaranteed to move to the next level when boom here's your investment management agreement we just signed it into law so where do you go from here, Greg? Like, what can you control? What plans do you have? What wheels are already in motion? What's your message to the thousands of teachers in Alberta, plus citizens that generally are just concerned at how this is happening? Well, it's a straight up political decision at the end of the day. So the answer has to lie with the politicians, right? There's no uh, um, there's no other way to look at it. Uh, 
uh, it was a, an act of uh, an act that was passed in the legislature that forced this. And again, it is a it is a ministerial order signed by the Minister of Finance. So by all means, allow your MLA, let them know how you feel on this and, and let the Minister of Finance know how you feel on this. Greg, is this like just just to for, for some for real talk here for a second? Is this kind of sure. like this is people that know Jason Kenney or that can observe Jason Kenney kind of understand his style of governance? He's a power guy. He's a control yeah. guy. I mean, it's it's yeah. that's why I think nobody believes that he didn't know where his chief of state. He didn't know his chief of staff was in England. He didn't know his minister of municipal affairs was in Hawaii. Bullshit. Obviously, he knew. Uh, Jason Kenny tells every single one of his MLAs which radio interviews they can do and which ones they can't do. But he didn't know they were in Hawaii. Horseshit. Nobody believes that for a second. So. We know that this government obviously, I think, has a certain perspective on doctors and teachers, they'll, the, and nurses. They'll, they'll come forward and they'll say, you know, on Nurses Appreciation Day, they'll say how much they appreciate nurses uh, while they're getting ready to lay off a whole bunch of them. Um, I'm not sure that this guy, I, I, as a matter of fact, I'm not even sure that the government has respect for teachers, let alone is encouraged you know, to engage them in the process here. Do you think that there's a certain hostility at play here do you think this is a little bit of a i can't talk about what they're swinging around but like is this is this the government kind of showing who who's boss showing who who controls what do you get that sense absolutely i get that you look at the back of it there's a couple of things because you sit back and you ask yourself well what are really the things that really drives this situation right and uh um I think there's a whole agenda having to do with an Alberta pension plan, again, that is as yet unrevealed and as yet unmoved. And I think a lot of this has to do with getting AIMCO in a position where AIMCO could manage Alberta pension plan assets. But the wider point, uh, that really hasn't happened yet, but the wider point is this about, yeah, we will do this. Teachers will be angry about it. Teachers contribute to the retirement. We'll just take this. And we really don't care. Greg, thanks for making time for us. I know that a lot of people, the reason, uh, I mean, the, the work that you do, I know a lot of people appreciate you're a bit of a Twitter celebrity on this. Um, <laughs> so I appreciate people can follow you at Yo Meeks. Is that how you pronounce it? Yo, Yo Meeks. Meeks. Is that what people say? Yo yeah. Meeks. All right, Meeks. I had a student student years ago that would greet me with that every morning. Is Yo that Meeks. Right? Yo Meeks. Yeah, what, absolutely. Yeah. I love it. Hey, have you ever done radio, by the way? Uh, I haven't, but you know, I'd love to because some people have said I've got a radio voice. You and I'm do? Not quite no sure kidding. Right? Oh, Sam, yeah. Sam and I kind of yeah. looked when you first, I've never heard your voice before. And when you signed on, Sam yeah. and I kind of looked at each other. I was like, oh boy, this, this guy's got the, as we say, you've got the chops. Um, hey, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. <laughs> thanks for your advocacy on this. We'll please continue. You and I have a dialogue off camera. Um, keep us Absolutely. in the know and, and we'll continue to talk. Absolutely. Anytime. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank okay. you very much. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. Thanks, Meeks. Uh, that's Greg Meeker. Uh, he's uh, a principal. Um, but uh, I think, you know, I mean, that alone, the principal at Coronation School in Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, but he's also board chair for a decade. He was board chair of the Alberta Teachers Retirement Fund. So the guy knows what he's talking about. Chief Jody Butts, do you, I know this probably isn't lost on anybody. I know that you're, you're probably well aware of the point that I'm about to make. But Fire Chief Jody Butts talked about deaf ears, the concerns that, that they have falling on deaf ears. I'm, I'm sure it's not lost on anybody that this is not I'm not banging a drum um, doing the same show over and over again. Bill Murray Groundhog Day style on like the UCP vacation scandal. I mean, like we're not even 
like a listener, a viewer right now is saying, hey, can you do like a special edition, a show on Saskatchewan says we need more real talk in Saskatchewan? Absolutely. And, and B.C. and Manitoba and Ontario, this is a this is a show out of the prairies. But this is not just a show about Alberta. This is a national show. It's going to be an international show. We're growing. You're growing it with us. You're the grassroots crew. You're going to be the ones that are going to be able to say I was a real talker way before they had 150,000 YouTube subscribers and way before they had national title sponsor. You guys are the grassroots. But we could be covering stories. We should be and will be covering stories across Canada. Stories of industry, uh, federal cabinet shovels. We talked about that vaccine procurement. We want to talk about some of the things that are impacting different communities, coastal communities in Canada. Take a look at the Maritimes. Take a closer look at what Yukon's doing. We have a request in with the premier of Yukon. Going to talk to him. So, yes, but we're we are we are almost obsessing over issues in Alberta right now because they are issues that are literally making national news and national headlines. I'm not doing show after show on the UCP vacation scandal, for example. You know, sitting here saying and and at 840, we have this guest and at 855, we have this guest and 910, we have this guest 935, 1010, 1035, all about no. These are groups that are standing up. I hope it's not lost on people. I know it may be obvious the point I'm making, but but you have you have people in harm reduction like mental health counselors and addictions counselors and and people at supervised consumption sites standing up saying the government is not listening. You have fire chiefs. Not people on the PTA or not soccer moms, not discounting those folks. Don't get me wrong, but you have fire chiefs that are putting their personal and professional and their department's reputations on the line to go on the record and say the government's not listening. You have teachers standing up saying the government's not listening. You have landowners and ranchers standing up saying the government's not listening. You have doctors and nurses saying the government's not listening. Like what the hell is going on? What is the government listening to? Who is the government listening to? Who is the government respecting and taking advice from and beholden to? This is just the beginning. When Chief Butts, when Fire Chief Butts talked about deaf ears, I pictured a placard. I pictured a sign that just says deaf ears or maybe a hashtag. This is not me. I mean, you can say whatever you want about me. I know people are going to say ah, Jesperson and Jason Kenny. Those guys don't get along. Jesperson would never get a question from Kenny. Kenny would never do an interview with Jesperson. What am I wrong about? What have I said today? What have I said for as a matter of fact, over the past two years? I mean, I've been wrong about a lot of things. But politically speaking, oh, the sky's always falling with Jesperson. Ah, Jesperson's only concerned about ratings. Ah, Jesperson's found a niche and a sweet spot, and he's max. What am I wrong about? Are they listening on harm reduction? Are they listening on fire chief? Like, am I somehow calling in favors to get well-known panels of four Alberta mayors at a time to come on here and talk in solidarity? I mean, if I could get I could get the mayor of of Sherwood Park, Strathcona County, Leduc, Leduc County, Edmonton, Spruce Grove, Stony Plain, you know, and, and, and other communities, Lacombe, Red Deer, we could bring them all in. And you'd find if we talked about things like, you know, attracting investment regionally, you, you'd find like the mayors, it would be friendly competition. But Sturgeon County and St. Albert would probably kind of be like, 
Well, maybe that's a bad example. Sturgeon's a little more industrial. St. Albert's a little less industrial, though they're trying to grow that. But, you know, you talk to Edmonton and Leduc, and when you start talking about annexation or you start talking about regional collaboration, there's always a healthy competition. You don't always have groups of mayors standing up and saying what's good for one is what's good for all in this circumstance you've got i hope it's not lost on anybody that we basically have a roundtable panel every day of a group of known people that are standing up waving red flags and ringing bells and hitting alarms I'm not wrong about it on the firefighter front. I'm not wrong about it on the teachers. I'm not wrong about it on doctors and nurses. I'm not wrong about it on harm reduction. I'm not wrong on ranchers. I'm not wrong on municipalities. Reeves, mayors saying the government just unilaterally, the provincial government basically forgave property taxes to oil and gas providers. What are we supposed to do? The only the only leverage that they have is increasing property taxes. So they're going to do it. And who's that politically unpopular for them? Not the provincial government. It's unpopular for them, but they have no choice. You want your secondary highway? You want your range roads plowed? What are they supposed to do? We're not wrong on any of this. The people will rise up. The people are rising up. The people will rise up. And we'll cover it every single step of the way. Talk at RyanJesperson.com is where you can get in touch with us. We're so proud to be partnered up with the team at Park Power. You know, they're in the electricity, natural gas, and internet game. You're going to be paying somebody. You're already paying somebody for that service. Why not make it a builder of real talk that you bring your business to, especially because 10% of their profits are shared with nonprofits in their community. Right now, they've got a, a great promo code going. So whether it's commercial or residential that you're signing up for with Park Power, they're going to give you 70 bucks off your first bill when you go to parkpower.ca and use the promo code 2021-REALTALK. 2021-REALTALK. Save 70 bucks on your first bill. The team at Alta Moving and Storage is in the game of taking your stress and dropping it down. Nobody loves moving. We might get excited about the place we're moving to, but nobody loves actually moving. Well, they're in the game... And they know what they're doing, and they're local, which means you have a question, they're going to solve it for you with these pod-style containers, with their team of movers, and with their long- and short-term storage solutions. You can find Alta Moving and Storage under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. That's also where you will find the team at Grand Dog Essentials. All I need to tell you about Grand Dog Essentials, this is what we feed our dogs. And we've been feeding our dogs for years with these guys, way before they came on board with Real Talk. I trust them with our family members and you can too two generations working in the business they deliver their raw frozen food weekly to metro edmonton calgary and red deer you can find more information at granddog.ca and if you do sign up with them you can read more about the benefits of raw food use the discount code real talk for 10 percent off your first time order real talk 10 percent off your first time order we're taking the show. There's no real overtime anymore because now just every show is overtime, isn't it, Sam? Um, I'm very excited to bring in this fine fella. In my mind, one of the brightest talents when it comes to sports talk commentary in the country. Andrew Walker uh, has uh, a show on Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. And of course, uh, was keeping a keen eye, I'm sure, last night on opening night, the National Hockey League opening a shortened season uh in front of zero fans but still a lot of excitement walks welcome to real talk it's good to have you here yeah hey buddy um i, I want to say something really quick really uh proud of your new venture i i listen and watch as much as i can 
But in, uh, in our society, it's a lot of have your cake and eat it too, right? Like we want, we want everything. Um, so I want to support you, but I didn't want to forego my favorite uh, coffee mug of all time. So I'm like, I made some adjustments, so I'm still, I'm still, I'm still using it, but just so you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, it's, I'm in support. <laughs> I appreciate that very much. Thank you so very yeah. much. Yeah. I'm trying to, yeah. can I tell you, I, um, we had a bit of an unfortunate circumstance. I'm not sure if you heard Andrew, um, but I got fired a couple months ago and, <laughs> um, and I didn't see it coming. And the, and probably the, the, I mean, I'm thrilled now, but maybe the most lamentable part of all of this is I actually have like 85 of those mugs still. We, we actually just got a new shipment right before good. all hell yeah. broke loose. And so now they're good, now they're good mugs. Yeah, they're good I, mugs. Well, I feel, well I feel insulated. like I feel like they are good mugs. Uh, just wait till you see the real talk mugs. We've actually I've signed off on the design and we're going to be launching our online shop soon. And uh, these mugs are unreal. But um, I will say I've, I feel like I feel like someone like I know again, I won't use her name because it is, is not funny and it's terrible as a matter of fact. But but a friend of mine, she got married and 10 days later, they split up like 10 days after the wedding. And I kind of felt like when those mugs arrived, I felt like I, w- I would have been like her when her wedding photos arrived after, you know, like yeah, the marriage. Oh yeah, we're all we're all the gifts. You <laughs> gave her you gave her mug. You gave her mugs, didn't you? <laughs> I yeah. gave her I gave her 85 Jespo mugs. Um, so hopefully she can use them. But uh, yeah. Anyway, welcome to the show. Uh, last night, you you cover the Canucks on the home of the Canucks uh, Sportsnet 650. Uh, but you're a you're a. Well, you're a born and raised Saskatchewanian, but you grew up an Oilers fan. You've worked in Calgary. You've worked in Toronto. So I know that you kind of remove yourself from the from the obsessive fandom and just kind of do your best to provide objective analysis of of the National Hockey League. Generally speaking, how amped up were you for this season? Some people are so excited about this North Division with all the Canadian teams and other people are saying it's Bush League and they have no interest in it whatsoever. Where are you? Well, I mean, to be to be totally honest, I, I feel the uh, the season kind of snuck up on us. And I'll admit, um, I was very excited for the, that last playoff run. I know it wasn't great in Edmonton. Obviously, they lost that play in round to Chicago and uh, Vancouver ended up going a couple rounds deep, which is really fun. But then as soon as Vancouver got eliminated, and this was back in the late summer, um, you know, we were down to the final four. And it was and I mean, it was it was late summer. And I got, man, I got fatigued. I got hockeyed out and I didn't, you know, for the first time in my life, other than professionally, I didn't watch a lot of the Stanley Cup final, um, you know, and, and, and so now this season came around and it, I, I feel like it snuck up on us a little bit because there's no preseason games. Um, you know, we went, we went through Christmas, all of that. And I'll admit like yesterday afternoon, the Penguins and the Flyers had the first game and, and, uh, and I sat down. I was just engrossed by it, and and watching Crosby and and it's very Canadian to have hockey back, and it's not quite what we're used to. And we're all wrapping our heads around this uh, Canadian division. So there's going to be you know two or three all Canadian matchups every day for like the next 160 days or whatever. It's incredible. Um, I yeah, I thought last night was was really fun. It's it's a little it's a little sloppy, but you you got to look at it this way too. It's not a Canadian division. The other divisions don't matter. You never play outside of your division. Yeah. This is a league. It's a Canadian league yeah. for the first time since our grandpas watched, basically. Yeah, this is, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's neat. It's a one-off. 
Um, yeah. I, I would imagine that to a certain degree, rivalries could get wildly out of control. I mean, I think of, you know, Zach Cassian and, and uh, Matthew Kachuk as an example. Yeah. And, and I, I'm sure that there will be other things that develop, but, but there could be some pretty interesting storylines. Who do you like? Of the, of the Canadian teams. I mean, there's, I was, I was watching, I, I can't like, I let guys slide in a hockey pool if they're Maple Leafs. Cause I just like, don't really want a Maple Leaf, but, <laughs> but I was watching last night and I'm sitting there thinking, going, you know, it's a pretty wild, they, you know, even their center core, you've got jumbo Joe Thornton there. You got Jason Spezza, like kind of the guys of yesteryear. Plus you got these bright young talents of today and Toronto's put together a pretty interesting, pretty compelling team. Obviously, Vancouver's excited about the direction they're going in. New goaltending there, new goaltending in Calgary. Edmonton, obviously with two of the probably top five players in the world, maybe two of the top three. Expectations are high there. Who are you keeping an eye on? I know, especially when you're playing all the other Canadian teams like eight or nine times a year, especially the fans, like you're just going to hate each other, right? Like if you're an Oilers fan, you're going to hate Flames fans more than you already do because you're playing them every third night, it seems, you know, and everyone likes to hate on Toronto. We know that. Um, but I, 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 Toronto's making the playoffs They're You're right. They're too good. So they're going to be there because top four in this division, make the playoffs out of seven. Right. So Toronto's going to make it. Now they can't win a big game to save their lives. And we're talking about the playoffs or game seven. So we'll, we'll see after that, but they're going to get in. I am bullish on Edmonton. I think that McDavid Dreitzeidel and that power play are going to win X amount of games just by themselves, right? And so if anybody else can do anything and kind of fill in the gaps, they should be okay. Uh, and I, I really like Winnipeg. I think Winnipeg is going to get in. And so that leaves the fourth spot to me between Calgary and, and Vancouver. So I, I, get, I guess I'll say Vancouver is going to get in too. They, they look good last night. I, I think there's this narrative that they had a really bad offseason, which I, I just think is kind of the, the bitter, pissy, Canucks fan base like to tell everybody that. So I, I don't think it's necessarily true. I think they're pretty good. They look good last night. Um, and then, yeah, so so I'm, my picks are, are Calgary and Montreal and Ottawa to miss. Calgary, Montreal, and Ottawa. Ottawa's got uh, Stutzel, obviously, coming in. They've got Thomas Shabbat, this kind of promising uh, young D-man that, that I think was supposed to be kind of the, maybe not the second coming of Eric Carlson. And by the way, whatever happened to Eric Carlson, kind of fading away into obscurity in San Jose, that's weird. Looking for a big bounce back season uh, from him. What did you see last night from from you know your childhood favorite Edmonton Oilers? Expectations are going to be high. It's Connor McDavid's birthday, and they just kind of didn't seem to bring the jam out of the gates against the Canucks. And I know a lot of people. I was being, I was on Oilers Twitter last night, and people are going, "Oh, jeez, come on!" <laughs> I know it's the first yeah. game in forever. It's the first game in forever, and there's lots of time. And I think if McDavid and Dreisaitl can, can get motivated and bring people along with him, if Yamamoto continues to develop the direction he's going in, if, they, if their blue line can step up without Oscar Clefbaum, and if they can get goaltending, they'll be okay. But there's a lot of ifs there that I've just identified. Yeah, I, I'm bullish on Edmonton. I, I, I think they'll be okay. I mean, look at what happened last night. Now, it's just one game. But again, this is a truncated season, right? There's 56 games. They're going to go back at it tonight. I expect Edmonton to be better tonight. But a bad start, like if, you know, if, if you kind of limp out of the gates and you're two and 10, you're finished. There's only 56 games and everybody plays each other. So there's going to be three point games and everybody's going to cannibalize each other. But you look at what happened last night. I mean, McDavid played 26 minutes, didn't have a point. I mean, he was dangerous, but he didn't have a point. And last year, the Oilers had one of the best power plays of all time, which should get better this year because they added Tyson Berry and they didn't score a power play goal. So, I mean, this just in. 
when McDavid has no points and Dreitzel has one point and you don't score a power play goal, if you're the Oilers, you're going to lose because <laughs> you don't, you know, you don't defend overly well. And, you know, Koskinen got outplayed by the Canucks new goaltender Holtby. So I think they'll, they'll be fine, but also McDavid's going to throw in two or three points a night, almost every night. And I would expect him to do that tonight. Is Colorado winning the Stanley cup? Who's winning the Stanley yes. Cup? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. If you uh, if if you're a betting person and uh, and you go online, throw some money on Colorado to win the Stanley Cup because that's what's going to happen. Yeah. You you have you yeah. you didn't at even... least at least all these Canadian teams aren't going to have to deal with them for a year. It's like buying a new couch at the brick and not paying for for a year. <laughs> that's that's great. I was just quickly yeah. racking my brain to see if maybe there might be an opportunity. If the, and, for, if, and if the brick doesn't advertise on Real Talk, they will now. I was just going to say, I'm just going to pull this audio, send it to them, and ah, what do you think? That's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, have, the, have the Comrie's on. Yeah, it's a whole new hustle. Yeah, might as well. So you didn't even, but usually sports guys like hum and haw, and they say, you know, kind of plat. Oh, that's like asking me to pick my favorite child. I can't, you know, and then they go, and then they name like 10 teams that could win the cup. And, you know, they'd probably talk about, damn, <laughs> That, that bug. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. All the all the pro it's just your signature. Okay, Everything thank, is thank yeah. you. I appreciate it. Yeah. But you didn't even you're not even saying you know, you're not saying that Tampa could go back to back. You're not saying that Joe Thornton's gonna uh, hoist a cup finally and probably his final season. You're not saying that Connor McDavid will win his first of five this year. You're not you you, you just you, you didn't even think about it. You didn't think you're like, yes, Colorado. No, 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 it's yeah, it's Colorado. Have a good night, everyone. Okay. That's Andrew Walker. <laughs> uh, hey, man, I, I, I want to bring you on the show all the time, but I wanted to get you here and just uh, check in. And and I know you got to start working on your own show as well. How's it how's it been for you? I talked to we had a great interview with Johnny Infamous, uh, the Oilers DJ who, who DJed basically the entire Stanley Cup playoffs, including the final. And then just recently DJed. Uh, the world juniors so he's responsible and he was at work last night again along with all my colleagues at Oilers Entertainment Group producing the in-game as though there were 18,347 people there though there's nobody there Uh, but they got to create the environment for the players (laughs) Al Stafford still on the PA announcing the goals and doing all that kind of stuff Um, what's it been like for you game night you're usually you're on Sportsnet you're you're in the bowels of the arena you know in your suit and tie doing the commentary between periods you do your radio show you're used to a packed house this whole covid thing like you've been doing your show from i noticed by the way you have your blinds up in the background just being a jerk and pointing out that everything's still green there and it's like a beautiful day in vancouver just trying to i see right it is incredibly on purpose i see i see right through what you're doing um (laughs) i'm surprised you haven't mentioned rollerblading in stanley park yet um but how but how have you managed the transition of doing radio from your condo for the last you know nine or ten months well, I was going to say, I was looking forward to this season because I really, really wanted you to do the T-shirt tosh, toss in front of an empty arena. I was really hoping that they pushed for that. Yeah. Even just even just once and recreate it. But anyway, uh, it's been, yeah, it's been really interesting. Like, I'm, I'm sitting in my condo and I've, I've man, I've, I've barely left it for going on 10 months now. Um, so last night, now, when the Canucks were in the playoffs uh, a few months back, we me and another guy the, the sat the guy I do the show with we did go in studio um to do the uh to do all the, the games and and the post-game broadcasts or whatever uh and last night was kind of the first game we went through the whole or the first night we went through the whole hockey analysis you know taking calls post-game show pre-game show all of that in uh right here in my condo I always do the, the show from here but last night was was uh it was strange because I yeah you know, I was just watching the game on TV 
and then plug it in my unit in the in the intermissions to talk to you know x amount of people about it it's you know it's it's the sign of the times it's you try to be as productive and creative as you can in sweatpants you it's, know it's hard um, though it's yeah. really hard i in 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 my previous gig you know i was doing the i was doing a radio show from the cabin we call it which is my garage and like it, you 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 approach your job differently i don't care what people say you do um i i'm in there you know i was wearing like a hoodie and a toque and like lulu pants and ugg slippers and you know, it was like on a Friday and it'd be like 11 o'clock and I'd be like, I think I will. You know, this this strongbow can was like sitting in the distance and it was like, hey, Jespo, pour, <laughs> pour me over ice. Hey, Jespo, drink me. And I would look and I'd go and I'd go, why wouldn't I drink you, strongbow? Why? Why wouldn't I have a cider in the middle of an interview? Nobody's watching. I'm in my freaking garage. There's a dartboard over there. There's a humidor in front of me. This is not regular. This is not normal, so to speak. And I found that in ways it really liberated me. Some may argue that it liberated me a little too much, uh, but uh, it, 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 it had like a huge impact. I think it was better radio, but talking to a wall, especially a wall of screwdrivers, um, I'm not talking about the drinks. I'm talking about the heart. It, 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 it was like I had to get over it. I had to get over the hump. You remind yourself you're talking to thousands of people in your case, like from your condo, you know, Scott here says, yeah, he may be wearing a shirt, a suit jacket, but he's probably not even wearing pants. It's totally different. Yeah, it's I, I think maybe you have to be in the industry a little bit to understand, but not really, because everybody's working from home. Sure. That's been a it's been a difficult thing um, because sometimes you feel I mean, you're always behind a mic, but you're in studio and you have TV monitors and all this kind of stuff. So it feels official and you got, you can see producers and they're barking in your ear. Uh, but I, I can't see my producers. I can't see my co-hosts. Uh, I, I can't see anyone. I'm, I feel like a crazy person, you know, talking to nobody sometimes in my yeah. condo. Yeah. And you gotta, you gotta remind yourself that there's an audience there. And even last night, like going behind the curtain, I probably shouldn't be doing this, but it's the intermission. <laughs> and I'm talking about the first period and I'm like, Oh, you know, like it's a great first impression from, Canucks rookie Nils Hoglander as I'm making dinner. <laughs> yeah. Like I should be in a, I should be in a suit in the press box and I'm like chopping up onions. You're like, You're like, Oh, it's a great save in the first period. He's, yeah. he's spinning one up. <laughs> Nils Hoglander with a great. Yeah. Uh, maybe not so candid there, Walker. Maybe not so candid. Uh, Arnold Palmer's watching in. Thanks, Arnold. One of the all time greats uh, says each screwdriver. You have to remember each screwdriver on the wall represents 100 people. There you go. Scott says if the, <laughs> yeah. Scott says if the booze is yeah. talking to Jesperson, I think he might have a problem. I've been off the sauce. Every for- every empty wine bottle uh, <laughs> represents 50 listeners. Yeah. Wow. 50,000 people tuned in. That's <laughs> remarkable for a new all show. Time. Um, all time. Greg says what a great tribute to Joey Moss on Sportsnet uh, with with yeah. OEG. Did you watch that? I did. They, they did a, yeah, they did a really good job. And, and I listen, I know people love to trash the networks and get mad at Sportsnet and whatever. I, I understand, right? We get mad at all big corporations, but it hasn't been easy on, on that end too. Like, you know, putting this all together and broadcasting all these games and, and COVID testing. It's amazing. You know, broadcast crews and doing things from studio and remotely and, and you know, what, what the Oilers did, what Sportsnet did and the tribute by Stephen Brunt last night. It's, we all know the difficulties of, of putting things together in our 
in our everyday lives. Yeah. Listen, sometimes it's tough to get off the couch right now. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of people doing a lot of good work. So yeah, don't, I mean, everyone's a fan of some Canadian team and it's really easy to just be bitter and toxic, you know, you know, so, you know, social media. Um, I'd like to say, Hey, let's all just really enjoy this and try not to kill each other. But I'm, I don't know. I, I, th- I think it's fantastic. I think it's, it's giving people some semblance of normalcy. I understand that, that some people are, are, you know, saying, you know, I'm locked down in my house and all these millionaires are doing this and that and the other. And some people are ticked off. I just think Connor McDavid said it yesterday. It was his birthday, obviously. And he was just talking. He said, I know this is a privilege for us to be out here. He said, but I'm hoping that it restores some normalcy to people to see us out there. And that was my experience uh, last night, just seeing the like hearing the goal. I mean, obviously, I miss being in the re- the arena. I can't even explain how much I miss it. But the the buzz on a game night uh, is incredible. But I I just think it gives some. You know, I mean, I dust we dusted off our hockey pool app. You know, <laughs> remembered what that felt like to ice a lineup. It's bringing people some hope, some joy. Some of our viewers right now in our YouTube comments are saying it gives us something to focus on aside from politics. There's something to that as well. Um, walks. Mm-hmm. It's great to have you on the show. I'm looking forward to talking again. Keep up the great work. Yeah, man. Thanks. You too. That's Andrew Walker, Sportsnet 650. Give him a follow on Twitter. He's hilarious. Uh, Andrew Walker 650 on Sportsnet. A lot of you, like Shalane says, Ryan, I would pay for one of those old mugs. Um, It's like having memorabilia from the Titanic, (laughs) which is amazing. Um, Yeah. So I've got like 85 mugs from my previous gig, and they're actually great mugs. They're really high quality the the design I think is really cool. Can confirm. Can I have one? It's you have mug. You have a Jespo mug. I we do. call them. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to do with them. Real talkers, what do you think I should do with them? Like Luke is watching in. He says I think we could have an event for charity where we smash the mugs. We could do that. There's something cathartic. Um, to be real, I know that we're way over time here. What 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 even is what even is time, man? Um, I'll just say this. It's not our longest show. It's not our longest show. No. I find it. Like people are saying like we could smash the mugs for charity, but but what that might do is, you know how people have like divorce parties where they go and they like they get all the girls together and they like they burn all the love letters and they rip up the photos and they they like sick the dogs on his, you know, his cherished baseball card collection and screw that guy. And they kind of do this. But that's usually because there's a lot of like anger and animosity and you got to kind of pretend like you're optimistic, but really everyone's weeping inside and that's kind of not where I am. I'm thrilled right now. I am with you right where we're supposed to be. And we're building something huge. I don't mean to take anything away from, and I hope this is not meant to be a controversial comment, but it reminds me of my friend, Daniel, his little daughter, Annie, uh, such a beautiful story out of British Columbia. Annie was born deaf And, um, after this, this was on like people magazine and Ellen and like everybody was showing these videos, which we loved because I grew up with Danny Matheson, like my buddy and his little daughter, beautiful daughter, Annie. And there's this video of like, they put the, you know, she has the, the, the procedure and then she hears sound for the first time and she's like two years old. And (gasps) like, have you ever seen these types of, you get chill. I'm getting chills right now. Just thinking about it. I feel right now like that every day we go to work i'm like (gasps) like the shackles are off the chains are off this community is growing every single day we started with 500 hardcore fans that subscribed to our youtube channel before we were even a thing we thought that's awesome 
And then after the first show, there was 1,500. And then we had 2,500. And then we had 5,000. And then 5,500. And it's growing. My Twitter's like going out of control. I'm just telling you, this is just the truth. Like 200 new followers a day for the last eight weeks. I'm barely on Instagram and the Instagram following's growing and, and things are happening and the hashtag's trending and something's happening here. So with regards to the old mugs with the logo, of the old radio station, I don't care. I mean, it's like, I guess if I sat and smashed them all, it'd be like, this guy's got some anger issue. This guy better, this guy's got a few things he needs to work out. I'm kind of like, yeah, I kind of look at it now. I'm, you know, you see these parents that have decided, they say the relationship didn't work out, but we're going to co-parent our kid and they have this healthy relationship and they talk and they spend Christmas together. I'm not saying I think I'm going back on those airwaves anytime soon. I don't think I'm going to be invited back and I wouldn't accept the invitation because because why would I? We have higher priorities. But with regards to smashing the mugs, I mean, yeah, it's a lot it, to clean up. It's a lot to clean up, although local waste could help us. They really could. We could just get a bin from local waste and then we could just smash them into the bin I'm trying to think like, is there like a, is there a charity like the Bissell Center or Boyle Street that ha- that provides, you know, like a soup kitchen type idea that provides coffee for, but, but even then is that a little bit like, put yourself in my shoes. Like imagine showing up somewhere with 80 mugs with your face and your signature on them being like, Hey, I thought, <laughs> I thought maybe your, di- your dishwasher may want to look at 80 photos of me every single day when you wash. I don't know what to do with them. You can let me know what you think. I think I- your mic's not hot, but you the think wrong. Yeah, wrong fader. You there think it's go. gonna be? I think they'll become like a. You know, okay. So a few people have actually commented. My coffee mug here is a little piece of Edmonton history. Yeah, it's my unknown studio mug. Yes, um, I love that you use that mug. Yeah, it's just it's my little tribute to uh, one of the OG Edmonton podcasts, and I think the Jespa mugs will kind of go down that road. It's just yeah. Right now, yeah, there's there's eighty five of them in a box at your house, but they're they're floating around the city. They're, they're floating less, around less and less scarce. We're gonna see dudes in Vancouver hold them up with tape all over them. Like it, yeah. It, it's it's uh, just just sit on it for a couple years, and all of a sudden these mugs are going to become uh, yeah they're going to become coveted. <laughs> Ken is on, Ken's on fire on our comments this morning. Ken says you're like a jelly filled donut, Ryan. No hole in the middle and a great inside. <laughs> Ken, after nine months of pandemic living, I look like a jelly filled donut. <laughs> I do. Do you want to see what I have? Ken didn't. How did Ken know what I haven't? Ken didn't know I have this in front of me. This is from Friesen Brothers. It's it's a shame I've already done their spot because I could do it again. Um, but this is check this out. So I've got this blueberry muffin. You want to see this? Like, I'm going to show you. So there's this blueberry muffin from Friesen Brothers. But but check this out. Check out the inside, Ken. Oh yeah, baby. Oh yeah. There's the jelly filled. Look at this. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I got to wait to get into this. So we've crossed into to ASMR muffin talk. Is that what's ASMR? Uh, I can't remember what the acronym means, but it's it's uh, it's when you speak very softly into a microphone and you want to hear. Oh, yeah. It's it's meant to be heard really nicely in your in your headphones in a time in a time where people were watching their weight. One man. One man committed to jelly-filled donuts seven days a week. That man did put on 25 pounds over the course of the pandemic, but still, he showed up for work every day, 
demonstrating the commitment people we are plummeting our listening audience is plummeting as we talk about i I like how you point you took the time to point out that we're we're way over time and we're still just doubling down on really what is over time do you want to know the real problem here is that i have uh muffin all over my hands and we want to demonstrate so i can't i'm not going to sit and lick my fingers i can't do that um i'm not going to worry about it no this because this is going to keep me motivated to close the show sam so sam is such a good he's a a great such a great here we go he's gonna he's gonna help me out here thanks pal so i can wash my hands Les says just you need to have a swear mug and when you fill it up then give it to a guest that's a decent idea i think we've been keeping it pretty clean here on the show if something's bullshit, we'll call it bullshit. But for the most part, I think we've been keeping it clean. Uh, Blake says we're getting to a weird place right now, and I like it. We are. This is like the uh, this is like the overtime. This is what people often say should be a separate podcast. What you and I say when we shut the mics off and go off the air. Yeah, there should be a, a an overtime. Well, I mean, podcast. you know, and, and I'll use this as a chance to plug our Patreon. That's kind of what our New Year's Eve show was. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. You that know what a, I mean? If, if, you, for our if Patreon you're a Patreon subscriber, you get to join us and hang out on Zoom on New Year's Eve. And we just shot the shit with everybody. It was yeah, great. That was so much fun. Um, Tracy says, Ryan, it's your show. Lick your fingers. <laughs> a different Tracy. Tracy with an EY says everybody's fingers taste like sanitizer now anyway. You're not wrong. Um, so look at this. Mark. This is just feedback. This is uh, you guys. I just am in love with this audience. Mark says we've been looking to move out of Windermere for the last couple of years. And he says now that Friesen Brothers is opening two minutes away from our house, I'm finishing our basement instead. <laughs> That's like yeah, Mark. My- honestly, Mark, you. I know that people say like this one's for free for Friesen Brothers. People are going to say people are going to say it's a grocery store, Jesperson. Like, like, you know, I get that you're doing advertising, but like it. It's not just a grocery store. You'll see what as soon as you walk in, they're opening in March. You're going to see it's not like they're they're slow. Their braised beef ribs are like and just wait. They got these. Oh, my gosh. Just wait. Um, Eric uh, checking in here. Shalane says real talk after dark. I'd be here for that for sure. Sue says, you know, what you could do is supply a mug to anybody who wants to participate and see who comes up with the most creative repaint of the Jespo mugs. That's an interesting idea. I like that idea. Like a redux. I will say to, to acknowledge the obvious, I'm not at this point prepared to push out 85 pieces of promotional material for the radio station that I would love to bury. Th- that's fair, right? Like that's just real talk right there. There's 85 beautiful versions of their logo that would go out. Although it's kind of like, you know, reminding people of what they had and what slipped away. I mean, I don't know. You can let me know what you think. Talk at RyanJesperson.com. Serious question. Because if I if I just would have thought, if I would have been like, yeah, I'm out of here. You've broken my heart. And I, ah, I mean, the mugs would have been smashed long ago if that was how I felt about it. I've had mixed feelings. And so I've hung on to them. They're in the cabin, in my garage, with some other stuff. That that there's sentimentality there, you know, and uh, I've wondered what to do with them. So so maybe the audience can help us out. We, I'm I'm serious. I will I will take into consideration your suggestions. <laughs> Tracy says, "How many United Conservative MLAs are there? You could send each one of them a Jespo mug." <laughs> okay. We have asked in with like ten of them right now. 
and I'm looking forward because they're going to start accepting these asks. They're going to start accepting our invitations. I know it. The Alberta Machine Intelligence Institute is uh, one of our newest builders, and we're so excited to be partnering with them. You talk about AI, you talk about where the ball is going when it comes to Alberta's post-pandemic economic recovery. AI is factoring in huge, and Western Canada is is, an, uh, is a hub recognized around the world. So at AMI, the Alberta Machine Intelligence Institute, they partner with companies of all sizes across industries to drive innovation strategy. They want to give you guidance and advice. You go, hey, listen, AI, I don't doubt that it's valuable. It's obviously valuable. But what does it mean for my business? That's where Amy comes in using their AI adoption spectrum. So give them a shout. Check out amy.ca. That's amii.ca for more. Tomorrow's show is going to be absolutely incredible. We're going to be talking about Bitcoin. Adam O'Brien's going to join us. Uh, if you've been paying attention to what crypto has been doing, January 6th, all hell breaks loose in Washington, D.C. Crypto goes like this, and then it goes like this. We want to make sense of it. Plus, a roundtable on the next 30 years in Alberta. Big vision coming up on the Friday edition of Real Talk. Make it an amazing day, and we'll talk to you soon.